Captain's Log, Stargate, Atlantis. Oh, fuck. Uh, I'm Captain Britain. I'm Baku Paker Pat. These are the voyages of the starship USS Rick and Morty, our ongoing mission. To explore new Trek episodes, to seek out old Trek episodes and movies, both cringe and based, and to boldly go... To, to the, the Sona face-stretching floor! Soy Trek the Podcast is here. One half vegan, one half weird. 100% communist, unless we have a less leftist guest. Patrick and Britain talking, joking, farting, and shitting all about Star Trek. Like our bubbles, the show is the podcast is here, so listen to Soy Trek right in your ears. You didn't even do anything this time. I, was, <laughs> I, <didn't. laughs> I, I always cut out right then just to see if you get it wrong, and you know what? You didn't get it wrong this time because you didn't do anything at I all. Always, I always freeze, and I'm like, wait, what was it again? It's, I, it's, it's, listen I, oh. to Soy Trek right in your ears. Yeah, I always think, uh, open your ears sounds, sounds, sounds right to me, though. That's, I, I but just, it isn't. I, I, know, wrote, I, I wrote know. the song. I, I can know. tell you. I know. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> that ain't right, that man. Ain't right. That ain't right at all. Welcome to the bridge. This is Soy Trek, the podcast where two Trekkies ask themselves, can you insurrection our erections? You know what I'm saying? What they mean by that name? Insurrection? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, so basically they used it specifically because they uh, wanted to use... Uh, resurrection for the last film oh yeah uh however they uh, decided not to because alien resurrection was released like right before it and mm-hmm. so they weren't able to use uh resurrection but they liked the title and so that was the working title at the beginning of this film and then they quickly changed it to insurrection because they figured that actually like fit kind of the theme of the film more even yeah. though it wasn't actually really an insurrection yeah <laughs> really. this just hit me i'm like wait what what, what was the insurrection yeah, right? <laughs> so, anyway, we have ads now, as you may have noticed. Don't want ads? Well, Soyagers, for as little as $2 a month, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumbidiotbs. And not only get ad-free episodes, you get them in high-quality stereo. Do a stereo with me, Pat. Stereo! Good enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, instead of that shitty mono trash like Hank Williams Sr. used to record in, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? Better audio than that motherfucker. <laughs> uh, and you uh, get every single episode all together instead of having to wait for every, uh, like everybody else, for them to trickle out over the week. Uh, also, for $10 a month, you get unlimited access to my Plex server, which has about 15,000 films on it, mm. which is like you know, 10 times as many as Netflix. Uh, it's also got an ever-growing collection of shows, about 300 now. Uh, let's see, what 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 do you see that I get this week? Lancelot Link. Lancelot Link, Secret <laughs> we were just, Chimp. We were yeah, just watching. We were just watching that. Uh, the, <laughs> the Ace Ventura cartoon. Did you remember there was three seasons of that? No, you didn't. Well, no, I you can't believe there was three seasons. Three fucking seasons. I also got everything Ken Burns ever did. 
mm. uh, documentary filmmaker. Uh, I'd highly recommend uh, watching uh, the Civil War. Also, every Sonic series ever made. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh yeah, we love, we love our Blue Boys, don't we, folks? Yeah, there was like I remember as a kid there was a, like two distinct ones. There was like a more cartoony one where he ate chili dogs. Correct, and then uh, that's w- the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. And then there was one where um, it was kind of dark, where like his grandfather got turned into a robot. Yeah, I think that one was just called like Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm. Uh, but then there's also like Sonic X and Sonic. Yeah, yeah, something Sonic else. X. Uh, was that Sonic X you're thinking of? Yeah, no, uh, uh. I was thinking of the one where there's like uh, like another animal called mm. Sally that's not in anything else. Oh, interesting. Oh, also there's um, uh, I got uh, every single RoboCop series ever made. How many how many RoboCop series do you think they made for television, Pat? I know there was a live action one. There was two live action ones. Oh, really? Uh huh. <laughs> <clears throat> then was there a cartoon as well? There was. Hmm. I do remember watching an episode of No, wait, no, that was one of the movies. Okay, no, I don't think I've ever watched the show. Yeah. Uh, there's there's four shows altogether. Hmm. Yeah, including one called uh to cross it over into uh Star Trek RoboCop Prime Directives. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, if you uh, give us $5 a month, we uh, mention your name on the, the podcast. Uh, some awesome people like uh, Dan Morrison, Dylan Lance, Ian Killia, Joanna Hearn, Jordan Hale, Nick Savard, Shane Sawyer, and David Croning Seats. Uh, I'll, I'll do that kind of thing. And uh, I think that makes them pretty awesome. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I think they uh, they all deserve a nice uh, cup, of, cup of Kool-Aid. So if you're in any position to give them a nice cold cup of Kool-Aid, their favorite flavor. What's your favorite flavor of Kool-Aid? What's your favorite? I don't flavor? really remember any flavors. Oh, what? <laughs> you, you grew up in Baltimore and you're not, that wasn't a thing there? Well, um, my, fa- my parents hated like really sugary drinks. So oh. they mostly just gave us... Um, uh, juicy juice, which is also uh, yeah, very my, sugary. Well, that was a, that's like a Pennsylvania and East Coasty thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we it just was. we just drink tons of juicy juice, and like uh-huh. you had to open it by taking like the can opener and puncturing it. I remember that. <laughs> I, I, I remember going to the East Coast and like trying juicy juice for the first time, and it's delicious. Yeah, but it's super sugary. Yeah, um, it's very sugary. Yeah, but they somehow thought it was better than soda. And well, Kool-Aid. yeah, because I think it was like fifty percent juice, and so they're like, "Hey, it's juice. It's yeah. actual juice." We can legally call it juice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have soda until I was like, I think 16, 17. Wow. Yeah. And then like I got addicted to it. That'll do it. <laughs> that's the thing is like, yeah, like uh, th- that's the thing a lot of parents don't realize is the more you suppress something from your child, the more they will become addicted to it straight oh, yeah. up. Like, yeah, when they put like the soda machines in the in my high schools, it's like, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah, like, so my, my parents like raised me on health food to the point where like, uh, the the lunches they would send me with in like elementary school were like fucking uh uh like Adam's peanut butter right and like jelly preserve so no no sugar jelly mm-hmm. on on whole wheat bread oh my god which is like don't do that to a child <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it was it was disgusting and I still like remember the taste of it and like how how exactly like whole wheat bread gets soggy from jelly yeah. It's it's a, it's really gross, <laughs> and like I just remember, yeah, just being miserable and like always hungry in my childhood, mm-hmm. and so like the moment I um I was able to like work for myself, get my own money, and like buy my own food, and they mm-hmm. also like wouldn't let me red meat or anything. Mm-hmm. The moment all those conditions happen, I gained like a hundred pounds <laughs> yeah. in in the course of like a year and a half. Like, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> it, like it, you know, it's it's insane. Um, <laughs> just so you know. 
uh, parents, don't suppress everything from your children. You know, let them yeah. try things. You know, you can tell them, you know, informed consent's a good thing. And be like, hey, you know, you can you can try this thing, but it's like, you know, it's like a treat. Yeah. Like, it's a thing you can reward yourself with. It's like a dessert. <laughs> it's like something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. don't be doing this stuff all the time. Like, you know, actually teach your children about stuff. Because the more you suppress stuff and not talk about it, the more they're just going to not know about it and get addicted to it later in life. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let child-free base cocaine. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Um, just a little bit as a Just treat. a little bit. So, uh, anyway, so once again, that's <laughs> patreon.com slash dumbidiotbs, let your child-free base cocaine. Uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash dumbidiotbs. That's dumb idiot in the letters BS, which stand for bullshit, but also stand for big shoes. Big you know shoes. what I mean? Big shoes. Just like clowns have. Not a coincidence, baby. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that out of the way, you want to get into the uh, what we're talking about today? Yeah, Insurrection. Yeah, we watched some Star Trek Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. You want to write a song with me right now? Sing a song. Insurrection. In Insurrection. Insurrection. In insurrection. Insurrection. In insurrection. Insurrection. In insurrection. Star Trek insurrection. Painful erection. 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 If you have an erection lasting more than four hours, please notify medical supervision. Watched it, Star Trek Insurrection, F. Mary Abraham and me. All right, we uh, we watched us uh, some Star Trek Insurrection, the ninth overall of uh, the Star Trek films, released on the eleventh of December, nineteen ninety eight. Wow, I was ten years old when this bad boy came out. How about you? I don't know. <laughs> I I, uh, I remember seeing this in theaters. I was super yeah. hype on it. I remember not liking it as much as First Contact, though. Yeah, because I think like the only time I saw it was in theaters. Like, well, the, like because like I watched it in theaters and I never watched it again until I watched it for this. And really, yeah, wow. wild. Yeah, and actually, it was way better. Yeah, it's it's better than I remember too. And I watched it only a few years ago, but it was, yeah. I, I like I guess like watching all of them kind of in a row and mm-hmm. like actually sitting down to review them and not just like passively watching them while I'm on my phone occasionally. Like, yeah. I don't know. flushes them out a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, anyway, so this, uh, this is the ninth of, uh, 13 so far <laughs> Star Trek films. Uh, <coughs> this one was written by Michael Piller. Oh, really? Yeah. Michael Piller, hmm. who, uh, you know, is like, um, gosh, he was, he was really important into Star Trek in the very later part mm. of of Star Trek. Really, I mean, he I think he came on in uh, DS Nine, mm-hmm. and he eventually ended up being like not like a showrunner, but like uh, I think he was head of the writers' room for DS Nine for a while after mm-hmm. Iron Steve Bear took over. Um, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's uh, super super important to Star Trek history. Uh, we got a story by once again Rick Berman mm-hmm. and uh, then Michael Pillar as well. Uh, Which, this... like, because of my, Rick Berman, there's some, there's a very, very interesting uh, narrative choice they do, <laughs> like, pretty early on. I feel like there's several different yeah. interesting narrative choices <laughs> they do. Um, this one was directed once again by Jonathan Frakes, our oh, yeah. good boy, mm-hmm. Will Riker. 
and produced by ultimately Rick Berman, obviously. I think he was the main producer on all four of the TNG films. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then we don't have an actual in-universe date here. Uh, it happens mm. sometime in 2375, which aligns to about the beginning to the middle half, probably, of DS9 Season 7. Yeah. Yeah, I think they said, like, yeah, I think it took place after um, the events of um, of uh, Season 6. Yeah, it does. And yeah. so it takes place, we're not sure exactly when it takes place. Um, because they don't specify. Mm -hmm. I do, I kind of hope to imagine though, it takes place like between season six and seven, because otherwise it leaves this glaring inconsistency, I think, of Worf not really ever mentioning his wife's death. Yeah, they, uh, that was like a Rick Berman choice where he uh. didn't, um, like he didn't want to um, include that because he didn't want to alienate movie watchers who are not familiar with the series. But so they, they, <laughs> they talk about the Dominion War, which yeah, only takes place in DS9. Yeah, they, they mentioned the Dominion War several uh, times, but like they didn't want to bring up um, Worf's, you know, Worf's, the fact that Worf's wife died. But here's the thing. Here's, the, here's <laughs> where they fucked up. That's intrigue. Yeah, that makes you go. Wait, Worf had a wife. If you haven't been watching DS Nine and be like, "Shit, I need to get back on actually on watching DS Nine." Like, this is this. But is, he's. I think no. it would take away from the fact that Worf is kind of like, you know, used for comic relief in this movie. He is right, exactly. Like, so, and, so and you know, and if he's like a sad sack, you know, like, oh, my wife died. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, cling on to Oh, he's got a pimple on your face. Oh, your wife died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it would it would be kind of fucked up. <laughs> They're all laughing at him, and he's just like he's just like just te silent tears are just trickling <laughs> down his face. No, uh, but yeah, it was a weird thing to admit. It like was. especially if you're a Star Trek fan, which I'm guessing like only people who are fans of Star Trek actually would watch this film. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't have a lot of appeal to just like normal people just being like, oh, watch that new Star Trek movie. Right, right. But they're also considering, you know, looking at comparative ratings from like uh, TNG to DS9, like DS9 actually was successful and did well. But, um, you, you know, you look at the ratings of TNG and I think at the time they were like, you know, between 20 and 30 million mm -hmm. throughout the series, whereas DS9 only ever really like hit the high teens. Yeah. And so like they had roughly at most two thirds of the viewership that TNG did mm -hmm. usually about half. And so, I mean, I get it, but I really don't mm -hmm. more than anything. I think Rick Berman wrote off DS nine in a way he really should not have because it is, I think uh, not. I think it is by far aged the best out of any star Trek series, <clears throat> including discovery. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's it holds up and like gets better. It has better politics than Discovery. And straight up, and like it's, it's a thing where like people are are starting to like write articles. There was actually like a really big article in, in Gawker a little while ago about mm. how um, DS not how well DS Nine holds up, and it's do like a reexamination. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's yeah. it's politically dense. It's a uh, you know, it makes more interesting moral arguments than TNG ever does because. With TNG, like, their crew is so idyllic, and they're never in a situation that's so complicated that they have to do something that's kind of fucked up, really. And really, like, every time they mention DS9 on in the movies, it's mm -hmm. kind of derisive, you know? It's just kind of like, you know, in the last movie when um, mm -hmm. Worf is beamed back on the Enterprise, they're like, you still know how to fire torpedoes, don't you? Right, And right. in this, like, you know, Picard's like... 
I don't know what time they started at um on on Deep Space Nine, but we start on time here, Mister Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's like wow, okay. It's yeah, like <laughs> yeah. You uh, should have been like, uh, I'll show up on time when you can revive my fucking wife. Yeah. Wolf out, <laughs> my wife's dad, motherfucker. <laughs> I took vacation. I took bereavement leave. <laughs> To hang out with you? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I wanted to be around my closest friends during this time, and all you do is fuck with me. <laughs> Come and get me out of bed, Picard. I dare you. <laughs> Come get me out of bed. See you do it. So uh, let's uh, let's dive right into the movie. Aren't yeah. You? All right. So we open on a small, peaceful village, modern-looking but not technologically advanced. Pretty much everyone from the Gap. Gap ads was dropped into like a renaissance fair. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, so children are playing in hay while agricultural uh, agricultural tasks and trade are done. Little technology is seen outside of aquifers and grain mills. But the people, the Baku, are at peace. The citizens of this village go about their days tending to crops and livestock, performing the functions of an agrarian civilization. Above the village looms a federation outpost cloaked and observing the villagers. For reasons not yet clear, Starfleet officers and their alien partners, the Sona, uh, spy on the Baku. Through special monitors, not only can they see the ongoings of the village below, but also a team of researchers, <clears throat> themselves cloaked and wandering around in isolation suits that glow red on the screen. Uh, pads are passed back and forth between officers, status reports are transmitted, and the Starfleet officers lie in the darkness of their what they call duck blind watching. And I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to say duck blind a lot because yeah. they do in the film. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I just want you to know I hate this term and I hate that they used it. They should have said like the this the outpost or the observation mm -hmm. outpost or something like duck duck blind <laughs> is such a fucking hunting term. Yeah. And it turned me off immediately. I'm like Okay, what do you what do they think their crossover is between <laughs> Star Trek fans and hunting fans? Yeah, like people I know who hunt understand ducks. That. Like, I mean, I understand <laughs> the term they're using. I just hate it. Mm -hmm. And there's no ducks. <laughs> if you're gonna say duck blind, get some cute ass <laughs> ducks in your fucking movie, Rick Berman. God, can you imagine if they just use those in real life hunting? Like how easy it must be. In the future, <laughs> they're just like completely cloaked and just like a duck just lands right in front of them. <laughs> yeah, that's completely unfair. That's <laughs> yeah. like not honorable, right? No. But also, I love how the Baku just mm -hmm. pretty much just look like white Californians. Like, there's nothing, they don't do anything. I think, like, showing, like, how low the budget is for this uh, movie. Right. Um, they don't do anything to make these people look like aliens. No, no. They're, they're like, sub-Bajoran in terms of <clears throat> effort made to make them look different. <laughs> yeah. like, they don't even have the fucking nose ridges or anything. No, they have zero nose ridges. They literally just look like, like, seriously, just like... Uh, like people drop from a gap ad. And so and so I, I almost understand it because of like a kind of twist later in the movie and a reveal yeah. that we'll talk about mm -hmm. why they didn't make them look like super unique because yeah. it could have like ruined kind of a uh, reveal yeah. later in the film. So I, I do I, I get it, but at the same time, yeah, they didn't put in any fucking effort whatsoever. No. And also there every single Baku is white. There's not a single person of color. In the entire thing, which is which is bring up uh, bring up again later, which is gonna during a funny line, but it's just like it's just very interesting. <laughs> that is, which makes me wonder. 
kind of like a white ethno state. You know, we'll we'll get to, we will <laughs> we will definitely get to this later. It makes me wonder if like the crux of the story isn't kind of more about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Why are there only six hundred Baku? <laughs> like why why isn't anybody else in? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so the serene setting of the village under uh, watch is suddenly disturbed. A bolt of phaser fire appears from out of nowhere, striking a narrow bridge as Baku children scramble across it. Onlookers are shoved to the ground as invisible forces clash through the village. And there's like, yeah, it's like the Baku are just seeing like a bunch of like things going around them. Like, you know, people are obviously being hurled at things because they'll see like a door break and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And just like someone uh, look like someone splash in a pond, but it's invisible. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, kind of an interesting film. I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, so in the observation unit, alert sirens sound as the Starfleet and Sona officers observe the commotion. Through their special view screens, the observers watch as one of the cloaked researchers rampages through the village, attacking other men in red isolation suits. Subduing his enemies, the researcher suddenly removes his helmet. It's none other than Lieutenant Commander Data. <laughs> Yeah, pulls it off right in front of the kid who just, like, shits his pants. Yeah. It just seemed uh, like a floating the, head. Yeah, because the rest of the body is still cloaked, so he appears to be a floating disembodied head to the back <clears throat> and says uh, says to them, anybody want some head? <laughs> uh, and then he kills all 600 of them. And he just starts sucking a dude's dick while, while, while <laughs> killing them. But he's dead. He's dead. dead. And he's in rigor mortis, so he's still hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, damn, Data, you you wow for this one. Yeah. <laughs> damn, Data, you on your nasty shit, girl. You on your nasty shit. Mm. Uh, so, uh, freak of the week over here. He doesn't actually suck anyone's dick or say anyone needs some head. No, uh, <laughs> or left, kill anybody. No, nothing like that happens. Uh, the left side of his neck has <laughs> just apparently been damaged. <laughs> Uh, so the Baku villagers are shocked by the sudden appearance of the android as his body starts to emerge from thin air as he rips off his suit. Disruptor in hand and exhibiting damage on the left side of his neck. Ignoring orders from Lieutenant Curtis from inside the duck blind <laughs> to stand down, Data opens fire on the facility, disabling its cloaking device and revealing it to the Baku. And the person telling him to stand down only has two pips. Oh, that's true. Where she does she can't order him to do anything. Yeah, she oh. uh, like data Unless she's a her. doctor. But like I did read like the reason why she's able like supposedly able to tell him to stand down is because she's like the admiral's attache. Mm. So maybe she's like speaking with the voice of the admiral. Oh, oh so she's like the pope in a way. Yeah, she's the pope. Yes. Yeah. yeah, speaking she, for speaking for Jesus. Right, she's the pope of this <laughs> duck blind. <laughs> uh okay. Um so from the windows of the duck blind, the exposed Starfleet and Sona officers look down as the Baku look up from their now-revealed observers, as does Data. All right. Aboard the USS Enterprise-E, introduced in the last film, Dr. Beverly Crusher fusses over the collar on Jean-Luc Picard's dress uniform in the captain's quarters. These new dress uniforms are fucking sleek. Yeah. Like the the cream ones, whereas mm-hmm. where the, the fucking captain has like the all cream one and then mm-hmm. everyone else has like the gray stripe down the middle. They just look fucking good. Yeah. They like it's weird to watch the TNG films because it's <laughs> obvious in every film exactly where they cut corners. In generations, it's with fucking everything. Um yeah. in first contact, it's with the Montana scenes. 
Yeah. They're super rough. Uh, <laughs> and fucking, uh, you know, in this, they definitely don't, uh, don't skimp on the fucking costumes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they kind of skimp on the sets more than anything on this. I yeah. Like the Baku village kind of like, I think I read it was like, um, like kind of like made out of plastic and cardboard and stuff that like makes that. Sense, yeah, yeah it, it basically looks like um like just a bunch of gazebos in California. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it, it, it looks like uh some kind of like weird like day spa experience thing. Yeah, in California they're, where, they're all they all have like white walls and and then brown. Yeah, like, where you get your own tops. separate little spa gazebo. Yeah. and like different people come to you mm-hmm. and jerk you off or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like some sort of like yoga retreat type shit mm. and. Definitely very yoga <laughs> core for sure. I mean, yeah, this is like a white woman's paradise, really. It is, um, except no dogs. There's zero dogs, so not a white. There woman's is paradise. like uh, weird um, hippo rats. I wonder if they can fuck. I mean, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, Only one way to find out. Kind of do like a Richard. Let's Gere call t- Rick Berman. <laughs> do a Richard Gear type situation. God, just put all the all the hippo rats and. I would kill to have Rick Berman's cell phone number. <laughs> I would just, uh, or his email. I would just send him weird. You should, you should uh, DM Tashi, uh, uh, Tasha Yar, and be like, "Hey, you, I bet you have Rick Berman's number. I know you want to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna fuck with him so hard." Yeah, that's true. Or, I bet you, I bet you or, or, yeah, Denise uh, Terry Cro- Farrell. Yeah, yeah Denise know. Crosby. Yeah, Terry, Terry Farrell. That'll be like, um, here it is. Mm. Here's his home address. Mm. That motherfucker down. Yeah, but probably just any woman who ever worked on Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably wouldn't be too difficult to find someone. So um uh new dress uniforms are sleek. Uh reading from a pad, counselor Deanna Troy repeats an alien greeting for the captain to memorize. Yu Chin Shefa. Emphasis <laughs> on Sheen and Fa. Yashin Shefa. Yashin. Shafa. Yashin Shafa. Yashin Shafa. Yashin Shafa. Yashin Shafa. What that scene really needed, though, was like him mispronouncing it and and insulting her. I know. (laughs) And and her being like, my pussy is what? (laughs) Here's here's my key. Here's my my room key. (laughs) My pussy is that way. You're right. (laughs) And it gets me horny. Guess what? There's three of them. <laughs> you can try two. I'll save the third for dessert. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Commander William T. Riker arrives at the captain's quarter to gather the other officers. The guests are getting impatient. And once again, uh, fucking Jonathan Frakes is grinning through this entire oh, film. Yeah. He doesn't stop smiling. It's almost <laughs> unnerving, but he, he's just like... I mean, most of his plot line is just like getting his dick fucking wet, mm-hmm. and so like I'm totally cool with it. And he, yeah, he's goof, goofing a lot with data. There's a lot he, of he goofs a lot with data and with with Troy. Yes, he's, he's on his goof game on this. Yeah, and we he, we love a goofy boy. Yeah. Like the only the only white dudes that sh- cis white dudes that should still exist in this universe are goofy boys. Yes, and he's one of them. He is a goofy boy. Yeah, unfortunately, he's- Picard's got to go. He's not goofy. No, he he definitely wants to be like uh like Patrick Stewart was a pro- uh, associate producer on this film. You, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. I, I totally forgot <laughs> to mention that in the credits. Yeah, this is the first film on which he has been given a production credit. Mm. And uh, production credits, 
uh, I mean, movie production, the difference between executive producer, producer, and associate producer and mm-hmm. co-producer are vast and sometimes they're very nebulous and don't actually really mean mm-hmm. what they mean. But in general, an executive producer is someone who helps pitch the film and gets its initial budget from somebody, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so they just basically <sighs> take a cut of the total film's budget and leave. Mm-hmm. They don't really do much beyond that. A producer is like the director's director, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the liaison between a studio and you know the director and the people actually making the film. And so they're the people who look at the dailies and say, hey, we need to change this, need to change this, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, associate producer is basically someone who works for the producer. And so someone who has some amount of creative control or say so on the film while the producer's not there. And so that's kind of, I guess, maybe what Patrick Stewart was, was like, uh, if Rick Berman wasn't on set or anything, he kind of, uh, him and Jonathan Frakes were probably given like creative say so on to make little decisions and stuff Mm -hmm. on little things. So Yeah, you can kind of see like there are some moments where like Patrick Stewart, like Picard does put himself in harm's way. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. No, no, he's he's an action hero again. He's an action. Yeah, he's, Picard he's again. doing action, but there, he does have some very good, I think, Picard moments. He does. He does. But like, uh, very spatial, space lawyer in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some moments that are pretty, uh, pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely are. <laughs> that 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 uh, that a Starfleet captain decision that Starfleet captain would not do. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so. Uh, they, the guests are getting impatient and they're beginning to eat the flower arrangements on the banquet table, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, as the crew head down to the corridor and into a turbo lift, Riker breaks it to the captain. The Enterprise has been ordered to the Gorin system to mediate a tutorial dispute. Picard expresses his dissatisfaction. With the Federation embroiled in a bloody war with the Dominion, the Enterprise and her crew have been relegated to a diplomatic role. In that capacity, Picard and company are playing host to new protectorates, the Avora. Can anyone remember, Picard wonders, when we used to be explorers? <laughs> Just an interesting, like, breaking of the fourth wall, because, yeah. like, it's something that Gene Roddenberry always hated, is how, like, militaristic the films got. Mm-hmm. And basically all of the films are very militaristic, except for, like... I feel like First Contact is the only one that's not super militaristic, and it's still of the kind TNG of, films. Yeah, of the TNG. Well, films. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, yeah, Star Trek Four I think is the most, you know, uh, the wet one, of the whales. Oh yeah, the yeah, most, yeah, yeah, yeah. The most I think like oh no, that, true to the vision. I feel that or I mean First Contact in a way too. Although like the whole action sequences and wherever, but you know the 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 heart of the film, the whole Zephyr Cochran, very mm-hmm. very Star Trek. So I gotta say, this movie would have been better categorically had it been part of the Dominion War. Yes, straight up. Like if if it would have been a component of the Dominion War, because this was released. And in, they're almost talking about it like it's over. Right. Well, I mean, it's near over. Yeah. Uh, because so this uh, this got released like I think in the same week as um, uh, Under a Paper Moon. So, which was like, I think episode like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. of season seven. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, they mentioned like the losses due to yeah. the menu where like, like, oh, well, these people only discovered warp, warp, got warp capability last year. Like, mm. why are we, why are we making them part of the protectorate? And it's right, like, right. it's like, well, took massive losses. Like <laughs> we yeah. have no choice but to like 
get these weird like uh, sea monkey looking things. <laughs> it's, right. it's major so, major so, part members so, of the federation. And I don't know exactly when it's supposed to take place though, because it could take place basically because they started filming um, around the time season seven started of DS Nine. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't written by uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga because they were busy with Voyager and uh, DS9 at that time. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't really have a ton of creative input from what I understand. Yeah. And it was mostly Michael Pillar, which I don't know if it was that was the greatest idea because, like, I mean, the people who are currently dealing with all of the lore, you just kind of cut them out. Like, yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't make sense why they wouldn't have, like, you know definitely like Jerry Taylor, mm-hmm. Brandon Braga, or Rondi Moore. Yeah. Doing something on this film. Yeah, instead it's like worth having like a little adventure he never talks about. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, that's, okay, that's what pisses me off is like, they barely mention Deep Space Nine in these movies and mm-hmm. Worf barely mentions TNG in the TNG movies at all. If that at is, all. That his, wife was just, that his wife was just killed and he's, <laughs> you know. And- it's honestly like there's two different Worfs. Yeah. And it's kind of dumb. It's kind of like that show Severance, maybe. You know, or have you I seen, haven't seen Oh, Severance. it's so good. I like, know, that's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Just like he, he, he enters a little fan and becomes a, a different wharf altogether. But I mean, <laughs> th- this this could have been like, there's so many things they could have done with the Dominion War. Because yeah. I mean, the Dominion War like involves like so many different races of people and so and some many... major and some cool villains like the female changeling and stuff. Right. And, and so like, I think that they definitely could have done that. I think they should have done that. They kind of did in DS9 more so was like, I don't know, did a fucking storyline about them, like, destroying the Ketrasol White factories and shit. Yeah. I yeah, they mention Ketrasol White. They do this. mention it. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I guess there is crossover because then, like, the Sona are mentioned in an episode of DS9. True, true. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, so, the turbo lift doors part, and Picard, Crusher, and Troy, and Riker step out into a banquet hall to be greeted by a familiar face. Lieutenant Commander Worf, on leave from Starbase DS9. Which is kind of weird since this is like very soon after his wife has died and he's very, very heavily involved in the Klingon side of the Dominion War. Mm-hmm. Like he's basically the right hand man to actually, you know what? This like, this coincides like very much with like, this might be almost like the exact same date as like when he uh, kills Gowron. <laughs> yeah. Which is really weird because you figure he's he's got like bigger fish to fry with the fucking he decided, to go, he decided to go on a little silly adventure. Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> like just, it's just did some oh, major yeah, shit. My best friend just became a fucking god emperor of my home planet, <laughs> but uh, I gotta go help out my bald buddy. Yeah, like, what dude? <laughs> like you got maybe help out Martok or I don't know. He just you know just I need a little Cause, vacation cause, afterwards. Yeah, that's the thing. If it's if it's before this, then we're still in the era where Gowron is doing incredibly reckless shit to the Klingon Empire, yeah. which Worf is heavily involved in. But if it's after that, <laughs> it's after his best friend and like brother, basically now, mm-hmm. like takes over the Klingon Empire. Yeah, and he like becomes more involved and like eventually becomes an ambassador for them. It's like mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense why Worf is here at all. Yeah, and also like like. Why Worf was just like, you know, they just like, hey, we need your help on this, Worf. You know, and at that time when they ask him for help, it's only like, hey, Data's fucking up. You want to help us with this, Worf? It's, <laughs> it's just like, and and it's just it's like, like oh, I, yeah, I don't have anything better I'm doing. I, I literally have to kill the emperor of my home <laughs> planet 
But uh, well, you know, I'm on the front lines of a major war. Uh, but you know, those 600 <laughs> white people that you care so much about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at that time, we don't even know. And at that point, when they ask him to come along, we don't even. They don't even know that it's a big deal. They don't. Like they just think, oh, something's fucking fucking going wrong with Dad. Let's go help him out. And then he's like, and Worf's like, okay. It's really dumb. <laughs> Very dumb. And 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 Worf is taking time off from work from war. Yeah. To go here, and they're like, hey, come on a mission. He yeah. should have been like, hey, how about no? How, uh, about, how about you guys help me? How about the last? <laughs> how about the last time I went on vacation? I tried to do a terrorism. Yeah, <laughs> like, let me rest. God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um. So, uh, Picard is genuinely happy to see Worf, uh, leading his entourage to meet their guests. The captain uh, meets the leader of the Avora and recites the greeting to the delegation members who welcome him in the time-honored tradition of their people, draping a beaded ornament over the captain's head, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, I just kept, like, like, it's weird that they're all bald and, like, the creatures, the sea monkey things. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, wouldn't that just slide right off their head? It's all beaded. Like, how do you keep that on your head? Like without without maybe, it just like maybe it's like off. supposed to like slide inside of them. Uh, okay, it's you know it tickles their prostate a little bit. Or mm. it's, it's it's anal beads. Oh, okay. anal beads for them, but oh. for us they, they're like a head bead ornament. It definitely looks like one of those things that you put on the back of your um of your car seat. You know those beaded. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, those are so comfortable. Have you ever sat on one of those? I have. I, so I, comfy. I, I should get one for my car. Yeah, they are should. really nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd be like a cab driver. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, no one was expecting this, and Counselor Troy only remarks, uh, nice beadwork. Uh, Picard tells the main of Aura uh, that they have a dance later, and they say that they look forward to it. Hmm. But nice beadwork. Counselor Troy was talking about the anal beads. <laughs> yeah. She stuck up in her asshole earlier. Mm. Got a little tail going around. Yeah, and, and pull it like, like and have a record pull it like he's starting to mow her. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, I, I don't, I don't think it turned over. Let me put it back in and try again. <laughs> uh, so, striking up the orchestra, Picard mingles with his guests uh, when Chief Engineer Jordy LaForge approaches, informing the captain uh, that they have received a communique from Starfleet Admiral Doherty about Data and is requesting the android schematics. Before he leaves, some Bolian tries to ask Picard about a paper he wrote, but Picard brushes him off and says, excuse me. There's a lot of talk of papers and paperwork in this. There is, which is really weird because you figure they just wouldn't have paper at this point. And also, like, this Bolian is useless to the film. Yeah, it's a, like, it's like it's only there as like a momentary distraction for Picard, you know, make it look like he's like juggling all these things. But yeah, it yeah just, like... it's, it's really strange, though. I, we always like to see a Bolian. They're a fun alien to look at. Oh yeah, I love Bullions. I, I want a Bullion main character in something. That would be cool. I would. I mean, I would totally be down for like a little mini series spinoff of like Lower Decks about the full uh, Bullion oh, yeah. California class crew mm-hmm. that they mentioned on there. Yeah, that'd be fun. Like, yeah, and I, are fun. and I yeah, because I read that they they eat rotted meat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Should have them suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> I kept it behind a radiator for three days. <laughs> it's, there's some mold growing on it. <laughs> it makes beef jerky taste like filet mignon. <laughs> um, so, 
setting up a comm line in the anteroom, Picard contacts the Admiral. Doherty is grave, telling the captain of Data's attack on the observation tower. I'm sorry, the duck blind. <laughs> the duck blind. And a subsequent hostage taking. Picard offers assistance, but Doherty rejects it out of hand, telling the captain that the Enterprise is not suited for travel within the unusual region of space called the Briar Patch, which is uh, what I call that little uh, patch of skin like right below my asshole. It's just <laughs> a slightly different color than the rest of me. Mm. Taint misbehaving. Indeed. <laughs> uh, due to uh, environmental concerns with the briar patch. Uh, Doherty requests data schematics and tells Picard that he will keep the captain advised of the situation. Disturbed, Picard <laughs> informs LaForge that the Enterprise will be making a detour to the briar patch on its way to the Gorin system, despite the fact that the two locations are in opposite directions. He will also ask Worf to delay his return to DS9 to join the Enterprise crew. Why? <laughs> the Dominion War is happening, and Worf is incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, Worf is. Worf might be one of the most important people in the entire Dominion War. Yeah. He's he... the liaison between the two, like, winning forces of the mm -hmm. war, the Federation and the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Without his connection between the two, they would have never made peace with Goron in the first place and Martok in the second place. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't buy that. Like, let yeah. him go back home and fucking grieve his dead wife. <laughs> yeah, it is a funny thing. Yeah, and and and, and Worf puts up no protest to it at all. Oh, he's, he's like, like yeah, okay. Yeah, mm. yeah, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, you know. I'm not doing anything else. My homeworld uh, and my actual captain, uh, their lives are in danger. But <laughs> I don't know. You're the white man here. Like, come on, man. So I was in a uh, Jim Hadar prison. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> we got to go help Data. <laughs> I beat I beat seven of their finest warriors in a row. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. You put me to sleep with your fucking stories, Worf. Shut up. Get to Riker, <laughs> tell me about the other women you fucked instead. Yeah. Thank you. Let's Jesus talk about this Briar Patch. Yeah. Let's talk about the 600 white people on this planet. <laughs> also, let's talk about the name Briar Patch. Yeah. No. That's not a Star Trek name. And if it is, it's not for a Star Trek movie. It's, it's boring. It sounds bad. It's dumb. I'm sure it's named after someone. But like... Briar patch. Makes well, I think it's supposed to be like a you know briar patch, like a like a plant, like the thing with like all the thorns and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still hate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I mean that's <laughs> that's like calling something like yeah. Uh, uh, enter the uh, the the bush expanse. Like no, don't call it that. <laughs> no, it's the 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 topiary nebula. No. <laughs> um. So, breaking through the red gaseous clouds of the briar patch. A Sona vessel heads toward a Baku, uh, the Baku planet. In the bowels of the ship, a macabre body shop has been constructed where members of the ship's crew undergo bizarre medical treatments. The commander of the vessel and leader of the Sona, uh, what's his name, Adar Ruafo, sits in the operating chair as two beautiful alien females stretch his skin over his forehead, stapling it to his skull. <laughs> Pretty cool, actually. It's, it's it's some cool special effects. Yeah. I think. 
Uh, well, it's cool until it doesn't get cool later on. Very true. <laughs> Remember, there's like there's a really bad looking thing. There's several. The, the, <laughs> the effects in this movie are so hit and miss. They are. Yeah. There are like two of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen in Star mm-hmm. Trek in this movie, and then some of the worst CGI I've seen in any Star Trek. It's yeah, crazy. It, it's actually yeah, it actually gets worse than Generations. I think at some, some parts, point. some parts, and yeah. like yeah, and like. You know, you're definitely thinking like, wow, I've seen better episodes like DS9 at this point looked better than this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So Admiral Doherty watches disgusted while Ruafo laments the decision to use the duck blind and Data's revealing of it. And Rafu is played by none other than F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Uh, What do you, by the way, uh, what do you think the F stands for? Uh, I think, isn't it for rude or something? No, close. Huh. A faggot Murray Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dor- talk about my boy like that. I love him. He's, he's, he's Salieri. Hey, I I love my faggots up in here, right? I'm a faggot. What are you talking about? Like it's it's I'm reclaiming the word because oh, that's, tr- that's true. It's, it's true. cool to be a fag, dude. It Come is on. true. So yeah, that you're saying that he is yeah. a, a really cool guy. Hell yeah, that's what, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, so Doherty reminds him that it was intended to protect the Baku population, but Ruafo balks planet's population, 600 people. Uh, admiring the new facelift, uh, Ruafo adds, you want to avoid unnecessary risks? Next time, leave your Android at home. Oh, actually, you know what the F stands for? What? F. Oh. Doesn't stand for anything. Uh, put an F in the chat for F. Murray Abraham. Because <laughs> <laughs> his, his first name is Murray. Huh. And um, so he put an F in front of it to distinguish it from his stage name. Interesting. You know, oh, okay. You know what, what it might be too is uh, I once dated this girl who was, uh, we were talking once and they're like, oh yeah, my F. Murray. Uh, my F. <laughs> my ex Murray. And they were talking about their ex Murray. And I was like, Murray? Like, what, did you, what do you even like yell out during sex because you can't say their name because that's weird to be like oh Murray <laughs> like, all right? and, and she's like honestly yeah I never said his name I, <laughs> I was like yeah that's yeah huh. yeah, yeah yeah it's like it's a weird name it's like, a it, bad name it, you stumble saying it sometimes like yeah, Murray especially if you like M-U-R-R-A-Y and yeah. it's people who are like yeah my name's Murray yeah and I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> don't do that <laughs> um so uh, Rufo looks and talks so much like Bill Maher in this film that it's crazy. Did you not notice that? Who does? Uh, Rufo. Yeah, I can see that. He's got the, the exact nose and like the same <laughs> snide talk. Yeah. So, so, he, so does, he does look different. I did, did you notice how he kind of looks different from scene to scene? Not really. He, there's some small differences with how with his how his makeup looks. I think it's mm-hmm. like because like they try to make it because he constantly gets his skin stretched and mm-hmm. warped. I like there's some su- subtle differences to his face. Interesting. So uh, because I think he looks and sounds so much like Bill Maher, I will be referring. <laughs> oh, I mean, he does. Yeah. I will be referring to him as Bill Maher for the rest of this review. Well, I'll be calling him Salieri, my favorite role of his. Where F. Murray he, Abraham. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was great. I mean, he got an Oscar for that performance, very deservedly yeah. so. so. Yeah, Amadeus is one of my favorite movies Amadeus of all time. Amadeus is so fucking good. And F. Murray Abraham, it's weird that, um, didn't, wasn't he nominated, or didn't he win for Best Supporting Actor? Maybe, yeah. I think that might have been the case. But he was the main character, He was really. definitely the main character. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. Mm. Um, so the deck suddenly rocks. Entering the bridge, uh, Bill Maher and Doherty receive a tactical report. 
Phaser Blast, Unknown Origin. Oh, no, he got, no, he did get a best actor in leading role. Oh, his best. Okay, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah, okay, that's perfect. Uh, so on the Sona View screen, Doherty looks on as the attacking ship makes it escape. It's the mission scout ship commanded by none other than Data. <laughs> so as the Enterprise warps away from the heart of the Federation, Captain Picard confers with his officers on the bridge. Sitting at the helm, LaForge tells Picard that they are about to lose all contact with Starfleet. Before they do, Commander Riker sends one last dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Uh, he's, like, oh, he's like quickly doing something. Like, Hold pause the shit. No, no, no. Impulse power. Please, 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 please. Uh, uh, okay, we're good. We're good. We're like, good. Oh, what did you do, number one? Something important? Yes. <laughs> just sent a dick pic to all my, all my babes out there. Just saving the universe, Captain. <laughs> one dick pic at a time. Um, Make it moister than an oyster. <laughs> I'm spreading moisture to the galaxy, <laughs> Picard. Uh, sitting at the helm uh, now. So um, before they can, uh, Commander Riker and Counselor Troy have downloaded all of the necessary information on the duck blind mission and the Sona with orders to become experts from the <laughs> captain in two days. Uh, That's a funny line. They're just like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's, you know. They could download it into data or whatever, but who cares? Well, well, well data's all fucked up now. Well, yeah, but I mean, they, they, they pick them up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, so in preparation <laughs> for the task ahead, Worf 2 has been hard at work, modifying a tricorder to deactivate data. Let him have a fucking vacation! Uh, <laughs> while the range of the device is limited to just four meters, Worf assures Picard that it will stop data right in his tracks. Mm-hmm. Picard orders the helmsman to take the Enterprise into the Briar Patch at impulse, and the ship heads in. This is a beautiful shot. Yeah. One of the best shots in any Star Trek film. Yeah, it's the like Briar a, Patch looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks really fucking beautiful. I wish it had a better name than Briar Patch. Yeah, you think they would have, like, a cooler name for the space anomaly that it is? Yeah, I know. Like, they don't really call it anything else. <laughs> yeah, so... Entering the north, or even what the, like the Baku call it, yeah. Like you think the Baku would have like a native name for it? Yeah, I mean they could even call <laughs> it like the the Baku Nebula or something like that. That's a yeah. way cooler name. Yeah, yeah. Or the Sona Nebula. I don't know. Yeah, something. Yeah. They just wanted to, wanted something to be called Briar Ooh, Patch. The, the Hezbollah Nebula. <laughs> How about that? The Free Palestine Nebula. Ooh, I like oh, that. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> The Israel is an illegitimate state <laughs> nebula. <laughs> I was getting some uh, Vacation Israel ads on YouTube yesterday. Vacation all I ever wanted. Vacation. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I watched an amazing video the other day on uh, how the roads are separated in Israel mm. and how like there's sides of the road for just Israelis and then Palestinians use like segregated roads well, that's a good thing three billion uh american tax dollars go to them every year oh at least I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's our bare minimum commitment to them yeah <sighs> entering the gnarled red nebula of the briar patch the enterprise crew is hard at work in the ship's library troy and riker have begun to review the data sorry the data from starfleet Riker says that a half century ago, the Sona integrated two less advanced species into their society as a labor class. So they're fucking capitalists. Fuck the Sona. Uh, Troy is amazed by what she reads about the Federation's partnership with the Sona, known developers of the Dominion drug Ketracel White. 
Troy wonders why the Federation would even be involved with such a people, but there are no answers. Yeah, you would think like that would be be something they could exploit. Like, oh, right. these are the people that make the Ketracel white. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we negotiate with them to with withhold it mm-hmm. from our from our from our current uh enemies <laughs> like like probably because they think that the dominion's gonna win the war but that doesn't make sense because why are they working with the federation to do oh yeah this? That, well that's what i mean yeah it's like why isn't the federation trying to be like well if you need us like well there's some neg- we can negotiate on this maybe you can like not supply our enemies with the drug yeah. that they need yeah that that is a huge plot hole like why <laughs> are they working with starfleet and not the dominion to exploit this plan and supposedly like the entire starfleet council yeah, it's like it's like that doesn't sound right. Like you think like these people would de- definitely be like an enemy to us. Yeah, because they're allies with the Dominion because yeah. they're business partners with them. Mm-hmm. No, I don't get that. So yeah. <laughs> as they work at their computer terminal, Troy stands close to Riker, caressing his neck. Yeah, she's horny, horny. Oh, there. This is the horniest of all of the Star Trek films, straight up. <laughs> Except for maybe like. Motion picture is pretty horny. Yeah. This is also, uh, I mean, Search for Spock is horny in all the wrong ways. Yeah. This is very horny. But, and I know it's like, kind of like explained later, but like, no, we'll get to it. But like, I don't know. It just seems like they would like, that they make an excuse for this later on in the film, but they're not even really there yet. Are they? Uh, No. However, so uh, Riker says it's been a long time since. It's been a long time getting from here to there. Getting, getting head from her. (laughs) It's been a big dick and I'll make that kitty purr. (laughs) Um, So uh, Riker says it's been a long time since she did that to his neck. But Troy plays innocent. Was I doing something to your neck? She mm-hmm. says coyly. Uh, and these two are just like grinning ear to ear this entire scene. They are so fucking horny for one another. Yeah. They're ready to start fucking on the pads. Straight up. Like, <laughs> no, he's like, he's like ready to just like clear everything off the desk, even though there's nothing on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put her ass up there and stick it in. Stick it in raw. <laughs> raw dog Rikers back, baby. Her butt, her butt suction cups to the, uh, to, to the, uh, to the pad. So then she's like stuck to the pad. <laughs> accidentally puts in the self-destruct sequence with her ass. <laughs> uh, so I gotta say like the flirting between these two feels so authentic. Yeah. Like, like I, I know Riker's been married since like the second season of TNG, mm-hmm. but I'd almost be surprised if these two haven't fucked at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are. They, and I guess they have, great at this point they have been like friends for like ten years, a decade at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten years. Yeah, eleven. It, uh, yeah, eleven. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, they're pretty close. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it just feels super authentic. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Uh, what a baller! Yeah, what a fucking baller. So in his quarters, Worf has overslept, <laughs> awakening to the sound of Captain Picard's comm signal saying. I don't know how they do it on Deep Space Nine, but on the Enterprise, we report for duty on time. <laughs> Which is just like, shut the fuck up, ticket. Also, this scene is never explained why he overslept. 
Is it just because he's like adapted to Deep Space Nine time? No, it's because he cried himself to sleep mourning his dead <laughs> yeah, wife. I, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll just, I can't sleep. I'll just take these sleep aids. <laughs> like, just, I'm, I'm, I'm racked, I'm racked by like visions of my wife being taken from me. He just wakes up on the floor, still clothed, just like in the fetal <laughs> position, just holding a picture of his dead wife. His pants are all around his ankles and he shit himself. <laughs> he's just like, Ugh. shit himself out of both his assholes. Yeah. Um, I'll be right there. <laughs> Are you crying? <laughs> no, I, I just need to go by the sonic showers real quick. Um, yeah, but like otherwise, there's no, no real explanation for it. Yeah, like it doesn't come up later at all, or like, or have any sort of like, or anything. I, I I hope it was like they they set up like a comic motif where like he keeps on sleeping in, like uh like Jeff from the Wiggles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and they're like, Worf, oh. Worf's going sleepy time again. <laughs> it's time to sing the Worf goes to sleep song. <laughs> he keeps showing up with like a teddy bear and a blanket under his arm. <laughs> He's wearing one of those stocking caps the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. And he has like a candle on an old holder. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm going on a mission. I wanted to sleep. <laughs> oh, my wife's dead. My wife's dead. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Stop crying about your damn wife. We gotta go save data. <laughs> Grow two pairs, goddammit. <laughs> um, so making his way around the bridge to the helm, Picard listens to the sound of his ship, telling LaForge and Ensign Pirim that something sounds off. LaForge is amazed by the captain's acute hearing, noting that there is a 12-micron misalignment in the torque sensors with Picard noting that he could hear a three-micron misalignment when he was an ensign, which is like some weird fucking dick swinging that I don't like. Yeah, and also this serves no purpose either. No, it really doesn't. Like, like, like what is the, like, this is just full of, like, really bizarre scene, like scenes where, where it's just like, okay, well, is this going to show up later in the movie? No. no. It, it just like he's got really good hearing. Yeah, this is probably like an associate producer uh, Patrick Stewart moment where he's yeah. just like, oh. oh, 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 he has to have very good hearing. So he if has... I can just yell at War for oversleeping, and then uh, you, oh yeah, and I have I have a superpower where I can just uh, hear that the ship is off. It's just, it's just like <laughs> talking like a four year old kid at playtime. He's like, no, 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 you can't beat me because because I have supersonic hearing now too. I can I, I, I can, can hear, hear misalignment in the engine now so you can't beat me <laughs> and they're just like all right can hear 12 micron difference and shit but it was three it was three when i was an ensign uh, um so uh, as a disheveled wharf arrives on the bridge lieutenant daniels at tactical reports an incoming hail from admiral doherty don't you love how they have a bunch of people in this film that never return in anything else Star Trek? Ever yeah, again? there's a lot of people on the bridge. Pirim that... and Daniels, like yeah. never again. No, nope. no, nope. disappear. Yeah, we have a hot trill. Mm-hmm. At, oh, at, she's at... super hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. comms. Mm-hmm. Also, also, Jordy uh, um, uh, was at uh, on the on the on the helm. So, so several people end up on the helm and on comms and on ops. There's yeah. like just rotating between those three and i think it's probably because data's not there mm. because data is always and they move ops too i don't know if you noticed that mm. as well oh yeah because it looks like um yeah there's uh like there's a navigation and then like s- steering or whatever again so i think it's mm. more like the traditional setup 
Because mm-hmm. Ops is back near where it is on um, uh, Voyager and mm-hmm. also on, I guess, like where the science station used to be. I do kind of hate <laughs> this bridge setup. I do too. It's, like, it's terrible. Like, it's awful. It's, it's, it's not as bad as Voyager, but it's bad. Yeah. It's like, uh, even with Voyager, you know the lay- layout of the thing. Like, like we don't get any sort of like establishing shots of the bridge. No, too that's, much. That's where the it, thing is like, yeah, there needs to be that establishing shot where you just see the bridge like head on. Yeah, um, like from the view screen, basically. Mm-hmm. But we don't really get that. Yeah, and like get a get a get a sense of where everything is, mm-hmm. but you don't. It's just it feels very claustrophobic. It does. Like all the shots are very close, and you don't get it like. It just seems too chaotic, and, and, and doesn't, so, it doesn't seem like iconic, like the like the Enterprise right, D and, bridge. And, and so, uh, I definitely noticed that um, Jonathan Frakes like employs a lot more techniques in this movie, and is a lot more experimental, especially when it comes to cinematography. There's mm-hmm. a lot more like camera movement. There's a lot more Dutch angles. There's mm-hmm. a lot more shaking and like twisting and like uh, a bunch of like different things that uh, I think all detract from the movie. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like honestly, I think like his best work was when he kept it simple. Mm-hmm. Like there Keep was it simple, stupid. Yeah. There was nothing overdone whatsoever about like first contact. Mm-hmm. Everything was done in like good tight shots. There was zooming in and out, but that's about it. But this, this film has so many, like, <coughs> I mean, there's, there's a fucking scene where, um, uh, data in the lake or something. And he's like draining the lake and it uses, uses a zoom in Dutch angle on the action that he's doing. And I just like <laughs> watching him like, <laughs> this is the most 90s fucking like indie shot ever and it mm. sucks <laughs> uh but there, there was actually a lot of that a lot of mm. like i think like jonathan frakes watched some like indie films like some harmony corin or something like that and he's like <laughs> yeah okay i could put that in a star trek movie mm. and no you can't jonathan frakes <laughs> as much as i love you and as much good as you've done like a lot of the decisions made in this film didn't work. No, I mean, there's some good shots of like of the nature of the Baku planet. Yeah, like I, I forgot to look right where this plate, where this uh, the um, the nature scenes were filmed because mm-hmm. I thought those were really beautiful. But like otherwise, like yeah, nothing really pops. <laughs> like like the mountains and shit pop. Everything yeah. else, I'm like yeah. Indeed. So, Worf arrives on the bridge. Lieutenant Daniels at Tactical reports an incoming hail from Admiral Doherty. On the view screen, the image of Doherty and uh, Bill Maher appears. <laughs> Doherty admits his surprise at seeing Picard here in the Briar Patch, and he says that the situation with Data is far too important for the Enterprise E to remain on the sidelines. Something interesting here is uh, to note is the view screen uh, that they're watching Picard on is in like the super wide format, like 35 millimeter. Mm. It's super strange. It's not <laughs> even like 16 by nine. It's like 24 by eight or something. It's like, it's like they're watching a movie in like uh Cinerama or something. And I'm like, mm. why in the future would you ever have that? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's just strange. Except the only reason it makes sense is because they probably uh, filmed the whole thing on 35 millimeter and played it back. Yeah. And so, but it's mean, just like watching it. I was like, that's bad. <laughs> that's dumb and bad. Sorry. Um, so, uh, uh, Doherty admits his surprise at seeing Picard in the briar patch and says that the situation with data is far too important for the enterprise E to remain on the sidelines. Doherty, uh, then tells the captain that he hasn't got good news. Following the attack on Bill Maher's ship, Doherty has concluded that Data must be destroyed. 
Bilmar is less tactful than the Admiral, angry telling Picard that, new rule, your android has become dangerously violent, uh, and suggesting that he must be destroyed. Picard sympathizes, but tells both men that if Data is to be terminated, then he himself should be the one to do it, as he is both his captain and his friend. And he'll put him down clean. Which, that, that's a great reason why it should not be him, right? Yeah, because he'd hesitate. Yeah, like, why on earth would you be like, yeah, well, I mean, he works for you, so you should probably shoot him in the head. Like, yeah. what? Excuse? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I don't know if that's correct. I think that's wrong, in fact, but all right. Yeah, why not? Uh, I, I I have a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> So Admiral Doherty reluctantly agrees, giving Picard 12 hours to capture data. <clears throat> Next, we see Picard and Worf aboard a shuttlecraft and as they head away from the Enterprise towards the Baku planet. Working the controls, neither officer can locate data's scout ship as the rings around Baku may be interfering with their sensors. Picard begins to sing, Come out, come out, wherever you are. And Worf is like, what, dude? <laughs> but this this is, a- is why your ass doesn't go on missions. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just like, start doing this weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't always invited. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this is abruptly ended when the Enterprise shuttle jolts under phaser fire from Data's scout ship as it makes its appearance. Yeah, why, why <laughs> is Picard flying this ship? I mean, besides, you know, he because said he, he, said he be, would take him down, but it was like, of all the people he could put on this mission, like, that he needs better. to be in action, and yeah. Riker's busy getting his dick wet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Riker can't be doing it, and you, you'll know why in a few minutes. <laughs> so. oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, at the, at, oh, yeah, keep going, keep going. Okay, so, um, unable to shake the attacking data, Picard attempts to reason with him over communications. Data does not respond. He tries to beam him aboard, but that doesn't work either. The captain pilots the shuttlecraft towards the planet, hoping to shake the scout ship somewhere in the atmosphere. Data continues to pursue, chasing Picard and Worf's shuttle into the clouds of the planet. The captain reasons that Data must be functioning on some level that could be reached through memory recall. Opening a computer file, Picard asks... With if, two buttons. Yeah. yeah two goes, like, beep, beep, beep. beep. Oh, and that, that, those are the two buttons that bring up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, opening a computer file, Picard asks if Worf knows Gilbert and Sullivan. To which Worf responds, he doesn't know the full crew yet. Which is actually <laughs> kind pretty, of funny. That's a pretty good line. Uh, but then Picard is like... Also, it's like, he's the, like, why are you asking me this at but, this time? But then Picard is like, the composer's Wolf. As, as though he, he was supposed to know. Yeah. Like, these are, these are at this point... 500 plus year old composers <laughs> who did comic operas in the 19th century. Why on earth would a full Klingon? I mean, I guess he was raised by Russian Jews. So there is that. There's that's that. actually a good point. I didn't yeah. think about that, but still <laughs> like he, that's why he should know Les Mis, not yeah. Rogers and Hammerstein. Like, um, <clears throat> or like a merchant of Venice. Like, come mm-hmm. on, fiddler on the roof. Like, yeah, come on. Uh, so the classics. Yeah. But of course, like, I'm, I'm sure they probably like 
You know, I guess like, you know, they probably still do like an HMS Pinafore type thing on the Enterprises and stuff. That's so fucking stupid, though. So Picard selects a song from the musical HMS Pinafore, which Data was rehearsing before he left and begins to sing a British tar, which is not about Armus, surprisingly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No! No! Not an Armus tar? So, however reluctantly, um, so fucking Picard begins to sing, and Data begins to sing along. Yeah, and this is probably with the and, and they're scene. doing like karaoke. Like he's actually looking at the like, karaoke screen. Yeah, and there's a little bouncing ball that uh-huh. like showing them what. To and I'm sing. like, how does how do I mean they're doing it acapella though too? So like, how do they know the notes at all? Yeah, like Data should know the notes, but like Picard maybe because he's a fucking weird. Uh, fucking like fancy boy but Worf definitely not no no but Worf just like joins in and he kind of just knows and I'm like no that doesn't make any sense and what's funny is like um, Patrick Stewart said that he is not a fan of Gilbert and Sullivan in real life as he shouldn't be because they're dumb but you know, <laughs> but you know what he said he does like what? Beavis and Butthead I fucking love Patrick Stewart <laughs> until he gets creatively involved with Star Trek and then he can fuck off yeah seriously fuck straight off <laughs> Um, so Data responds in kind, reciting the lyrics to the song and giving Picard and Worf the distraction that they need. The Enterprise shuttle creeps up to the mission scout ship and engages, engages its docking clamps, securing the two ships together. Okay. So a couple things here. Mm-hmm. Data can't multitask. Yeah, apparently not. Like he's so <laughs> caught up. He's only like, I can only do two things at once. I'm driving this fucking shuttle okay and attacking you oh i gotta turn off the attacking because i gotta sing a song now like what and you know this this is a scene that came up like you know um i'm sure brent spiner was just like look i love singing yeah can we please have data sing a song uh preferably (laughs) gilbert and sullivan (laughs) rogers and hammerstein (laughs) you get to choose yeah uh i i especially like uh uss pin hms pinafore and a Miss Saigon. So choose a song. <laughs> oh, God, they do a Miss Saigon song. <laughs> like, that, that, that oh. made, or, you know, I'll even go as low as Oklahoma, all right? <laughs> that would have made this, that would have made this, like, uh, made this movie notorious. It would be like um, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's almost. <laughs> like, Mickey Rooney's, like, Japanese impression. <laughs> like, like, you can never really, like, watch that show it to anybody. Like, yeah, like, uh, like Brent Spiner starts singing Miss Saigon and it becomes very racist. <laughs> um, ooh, new character. Person huh. who believes Mickey Rooney is actually Asian <laughs> because of that role. That, like that's a, it's so distracting. It's like I watched, I had never seen the movie before until like, I think like last year, mm-hmm. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I watched and I was just like, what were they thinking? <laughs> like with this, it's, it's very bizarre. Man, I think I remember the film, but I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. Yeah. Well, that's one thing we've got. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so aboard the scout. Oh, also, uh, I said a couple things. So why can't data multitask? Uh, why is everybody in Star Trek obsessed with 500 year old bullshit? <laughs> and why is an Android so into comic opera from the 1800s? Yeah. It doesn't why? make any sense. <laughs> Like he should be into like electronic. He he can he can literally sing dubstep if he wants. 
Yeah. Data has the ability to do that, but he doesn't. Like you, you would imagine like singing a song is very, is a very small amount of his processing power. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, you know, like, you know, you're like phones can fucking play songs while you do a million other things on them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just made a huge realization. Huh? The greatest missed opportunity of all time. Hmm. Not making Michael fucking Winslow a positronic robot. In oh Star Trek. my God. Right? <laughs> that would have been, been a. <laughs> yeah, like he, could, <laughs> he could make all of his own sound effects. Mm, processing. <laughs> it would be so cool. Like, instead, he's doing the worst stand up comedy I've seen in my entire life. Wow. Literally, probably the worst, like, professional stand up comedy show I've ever been to is Michael Winslow's show. <laughs> like, his, his sound effects were incredible, but his comedy, dismal. Yeah, he probably Dismal. he probably thought he was really funny because of his sound effects are really funny. Everyone did. Yeah. Uh. I mean, yeah, it was my favorite part of Police Academy movies. Yeah, 100%. And really, what was Michael Winslow doing at this time that he couldn't have been in this in this movie or Star Trek? He's not being asked to do Star <laughs> uh, Trek is the problem. Yeah, people people didn't have your insight. If you, if you really? were if if they had asked you, <laughs> So, some some call me a mad genius, but I'm really more of a mad mixologist. Yes, I'm just mixing Michael Winslow, the the cocktail of Michael Winslow. They would have gone to gone, they would have asked ten year old you, <laughs> hey, uh, what should we do with this movie? Michael Winslow, <laughs> make him an android. Yeah, if what if Motormouth Jones had a real motor for a mouth? <laughs> this child's a genius. <laughs> God, kid, you could write family fucking circus. <laughs> <laughs> or in a, a, a young Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> like, it's like watching from the sidelines. And like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Now I will write another episode of Ace Ventura Pet Detective, the animated series. But I got this thing I'm working on about a family guy. <laughs> a, fa- a family person. Not sure what kind of person yet, though. Family gal? Family. <laughs> mm, fuck. Damn it. Family Wait, Man, family man. No, 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 no. Uh, so on the Enterprise shuttle, uh, Picard and Worf struggle to hold on as they go into a spiral. This is some of the worst CGI I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, it it and like and like in the in the in the um, cockpit scenes, they're just like turning their head. To oh one no, side. yeah, they're, they're they're turning their head to one side, and the camera's just spinning around and around and, and around in the, in the other direction. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, is, why is their head going that way? It, it looks so bad and dumb and stupid. And it's it's one of the other moments where I'm like, Jonathan Frakes, what are you doing? Come on. Like, you know, honey, you, you should know better. This is like, this is like some kids film bullshit. Like this, this, I, I expect to see that type of like shot in Spy Kids. Yeah. Not in Star Trek. Yeah. I don't know if you watch the Fablemans. Like I, like, I, I, so I actually started to, I watched, oh, yeah? I watched like the first 40 minutes mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I honestly, I don't know what it is. I think I have just like, I don't know if I can do Steven Spielberg anymore. I also yeah. watched part of, uh, he's kind of annoying. I, I watched part of ready player one and I found oh, it yeah. to be one of the most irritating films I've ever seen. I actually have a theory. He didn't actually direct that movie. Interesting. I think cause, cause like most of it, the movie is like, you know, those computer generated scenes. I, yeah. I don't think he directed those. I think he directed all the live action scenes mm-hmm. which there's maybe like 15 minutes yeah i think i mean the, the, the ending like 10 minutes is all live action yeah like but i think i'm pretty sure like he just directed those and then mm-hmm. he got a main director credit but but i would but uh but it does go into like yeah his like 
his early childhood films and like yeah, the things yeah. he did. Like that, that's I, what I found like abhorrent and like <laughs> I don't know the, the, the stylization he does and like how like I don't know the, the whole thing. I first off, I hate coming of age films. Yeah. Fucking hate them. Oh yeah, and they're like, awful. There's very few things that are even coming of age that I actually have ever liked. Like uh, surprisingly, I like Freaks and Geeks. That's mm-hmm. that's great media, but that's like so far beyond like a coming of age thing. I think mm-hmm. but, you know like. Oh, growing up, like the Wonder Years, uh, mm-hmm. the Christmas movie, I fucking hated those, and still do to this day. Yeah, can't can't do them. I mean, <laughs> I don't hate them. I realize they're for somebody, but they are not for me. Yeah, I mean, this does have like a lot of the same beats of like the other yeah, Wonder Years type things. Like, yeah. it's only worth going to the end, and there's like mm-hmm. the David Lynch cameo. Yeah, and the thing is, like, <laughs> my childhood sucked, and I didn't learn anything. So. Mm-hmm. Watching like an idealistic childhood where kids are like learning shit, like <laughs> that feels bad. Yeah, like fucking like like literally like. Well, he does. He does uh, discover um, through his like love of film. He does discover his mom's cheating on 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 um on her husband with uh, Seth Rogen. Oh yeah, I heard about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like edit, editing together scenes. He's just like, and he sees all these background shots of his mom just basically sucking Seth Rogen's dick, and she, he's just like, he, <laughs> I'm about to come. <laughs> and, he, and what he does is he he, he compiles all the, bla- all the all the all the footage, and then makes his mom watch it, and and to reveal that he knows that his mom's cheating. That's fucked up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's a weird little fucked up thing to do. Yeah. As a kid, right? yeah, it is. I mean, he, he could, he could have literally just been like, Hey mom, I know. But instead he's like, I'm going to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit this together. It's going to be my little project. Mom, mom, I'm going to make Seth- a physical copy that anybody can find. This movie's called mom fucking Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, but I was just imagine like it's a lot of like the techniques that he used as a child filmmaking yeah. oh, no, that, yeah. that's, that Jonathan Frakes was using for this film. You're probably right. <laughs> so on the Enterprise shuttle, Picard and Worf struggle to hold on as they spiral towards the quickly advancing ground. Working the helm, Picard is able to pull them up out of the dive and into a stable flight path using in- inertial dampeners. Worf seizes the opportunity, climbing through a hatch and into Data's scout ship. Seeing the intruder, Data lunges at Worf, but Worf successfully disables the android by the touch of a button on his modified tricorder, <laughs> saying, Commander Data is safely in custody. <laughs> um, Captain Picard, Counselor Troy, and Dr. Beverly Crusher beam down um, in a way team to the Baku village. Troy is immediately struck by the peace that surrounds him looking at a hacky sack circle and noticing the clarity of perception of the Baku people. Yeah, I do like, like they're playing, they're playing like extreme hacky. Sack. Oh, they're playing. Yeah. Like there's like eight hacks going at the same time <laughs> yeah. and they're all doing like different geometries with them. Yeah. They're, they're like doing sacred geometry with hacky sacks. That's like how good they are. I will say that was like convincing CGI. It did look like they were ha- hacking eight sacks. That wasn't CGI. Wasn't CGI? No, no, they they got uh, professional hacky sacking children. <laughs> yeah, they got all the all the all the best hacky sackers in uh all the, in California. All the, yeah, all the best under fifteen hacky sackers in California <laughs> were recruited. And and this then, whole movie and, was filmed and in then California. Summarily executed directly. Afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your hacks are too are too cool. You can't live. You can't you can't put your your hacking sacking in other movies. <laughs> Sorry, capitalism can't survive with this good of hacks, kids. <laughs> Bang, bang, bang. You know what they say. You're only as good as your last hack. 
Hack the planet. Hack the planet. <laughs> um. <laughs> so finding the hostages from the duck blind, enjoying a lavish meal with the planet's natives. And I love how this is all, like, there was this whole, whole scene. I wonder if it was filmed or not, like, mm. Data holding these people hostage. Because, like, they all talk about how they're being held hostage mm. by Data. And, like, for one, they all seem cool. Everyone seems fine. And so there's a <laughs> lot of mystery for me surrounding, like, Data's condition at the beginning of this film. Because they, mm -hmm. they try to clear it up with a few lines. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that... That doesn't do it for me. Yeah. It really doesn't. We'll get there. But yeah. like, <laughs> like there is some, some weird plot holes in this film, I think. Yeah. It's like something that was definitely left on the editing room floor. Like, I'm not sure if it, I didn't read anything that said like, like major scenes were cut. Like, you know, how in generations there's like the whole Geordie torture scene that's completely cut from the film and the, <laughs> but it's like, so there's a lot of, but then like, there's a lot of like other scenes that are left in that reference it. And here we have, like, them referencing, like, you know, Data holding them hostage. Just and we just get, like... Seen. Straight up, why on earth, why the fuck did they think it was a good idea to do a torture scene on the guy who is famous for being tortured in Roots? Yeah. Like, that that literally made him as an actor. Like, that is one of the most iconic scenes about slavery in media of all time. And they're like... Hey, why don't we play that back Star Trek style? Well, maybe they're hoping like, oh, maybe some of some, like some of the roots uh, um, uh, will rub off on our crappy film. <laughs> like, you know, our, hey, our film sucks, but what if we uh, what if we uh, pay homage to this like iconic scene? <laughs> That'd be great if they just call it instead of Star Trek Generation, Star Trek Roots. <laughs> that would have been not okay. Woof. Big wolf. <laughs> so Picard is welcomed by Anij and Sojef, the leaders of the community and the hottest of their people. Yeah. Uh, they asked uh, Picard and his crew to disarm as the Baku are peaceful people. Picard tells the Baku of their non-interventionist prime directive. And uh, Anaj counters that it apparently doesn't extend to spying. Got him! <laughs> Straight up. Like, if you're that... Yeah, too many things can go wrong if you're spying on a people. That breaks the prime directive 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, they kind of like there is like um, some references to the um, this is this is very similar to the TNG episode where they're they have a duck blind and they're yeah. watching that. And like, um, I think like there's a said so that there's a reference who, who watches the watchers, yeah, who watches the watchers. Yep, yep. And uh, there's a reference to that uh episode. I think like um, there's a piece of cloth from those people. Oh. That's hanging behind Picard in one scene. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like, um, uh, so that I think they acknowledge that how similar these two storylines are, mm -hmm. but I guess it's like, it's typical of like them, you know, monitoring like, you know, ancient cultures, you know, what they can learn, you know, about our own past, I guess. Cause this, I guess this, what they're doing in who watches the watchers. This isn't an ancient culture though. No, well, like, <laughs> it's it, 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 it's a three hundred year old culture. Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's a very new culture. Yeah, it's slowly revealed what they're doing, but yeah, it's like very odd. Yeah. So they tell the Starfleet captain that Data was suffering uh, from damage to his positronic brain that they were unable to repair. Picard is very surprised. It seems that the Baku aren't um, what they appear to be capable of space travel and advanced technologies, yet choosing to live a simpler existence. Anaj asks what warp drive could do, but take them away from their home. The captain apologizes for the intrusion and transports away with the Starfleet and so an officers back to the Enterprise. Now, 
honestly, what Anish Anish says here almost for me like destroys the entire concept of Starfleet. <laughs> like it is a great point. Like what can warp drive do except take us away from like paradise? Because basically what Starfleet did was you know, through warp technology and technologies associated with it, like they created a utopia on earth and then they just go out to the rest of the galaxy to create dystopia and conflict. Like why aren't they on earth? Why don't they just stay on earth? They don't set out to, to, they don't set out to, but they create conditions that, that absolutely make that happen. I think they do more good than that. Maybe, but <laughs> but could not the ultimate good be staying on your own fucking planet? Because what they're doing is inherently colonialist. Exploring? Like, come on. That's what everyone called fucking all of the conquistadors and stuff before history set it right. Like, they are, and especially in a situation like this, a, a fucking planet that they don't know is pre-warp, and they're using kind of nefarious means to exploit them, like... Mm-hmm. Well, that's oh, that's where the conflict comes in this movie, where mm-hmm. it's like they're doing some very unstarfleet things, where they 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 do respect like people, you know, just like in the beginning, it showed like a a warp capable spe- uh, mm-hmm. species newly being enveloped inside into but, the start into the Federation. But how is this civilization that much different from the Maquis? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that, that, exactly. <laughs> and, so, and this is what I'm saying is like the Federation. And Starfleet are not inherently anti-colonialist, even though they say but, those. But kind of the things. whole point in this movie that they they protect these people and, re- and, re- and to protect their sovereignty from being, you know, from from an evil ad- Starfleet admiral. Right. Why are why is anyone there in the first place? Because the evil Starfleet admiral. Evil Starfleet admiral. But <laughs> <sighs> I think they. I think at this point they should just like abolish the admiralty. Yeah, yeah basically because every yeah. Sing, every single one's evil. Exactly, exactly. And so and so you just you just kind of proved my point. Like this this whole thing is systemic. From the top, there are if if you do this kind of thing, you're always going to have evil people doing things for all the wrong reasons. Like evil admiral here, and you can't prevent it. We've seen it all throughout Star Trek. Tons of evil people are doing tons of evil stuff because they have the means and they have the power to do so. Yeah. You know, and power corrupts. And so there's there's two things that I think here. First and but foremost, the, but always at the end of the day, Star, Star Starfleet, mm-hmm. the the good, the 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 true principles and values of Starfleet come through, and like the the bad people are undone, and shows like that's like. However, there still exists a system in which these people can gain power and control the system, which yeah. which it's the system that's the <laughs> problem, is what I'm saying. Yeah, like it's a systemic problem, and you know what could fix everything? Abolishing admiralty. <laughs> <laughs> like no make no, no more just, admirals ju- no no just straight up making starfleet completely democratic i mean in a way it is like everyone no, it's not. they do have no it's votes. not no it's not it is a military structure it, it like it's oh, i guess in the federation it, they have they yeah vote. no and like in in starfleet if you disobey an order you can get court-martialed yeah. it is not democratic in any way yeah there's no no don't don't pretend it's democratic that's stupid <laughs> like no no i'm talking like if a decision needs to be made about what needs to be done, mm-hmm. everyone on the ship gets one vote. Yeah. That's it. There's no captain. Everyone has their own station, but there's no ranks. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, and that would be true, uh, you know, fully automated luxury space communism. 
I mean, Picard has has dispatched his fair number of evil admirals. He has. <laughs> However, evil is a point of perspective. Yeah. You know, what's what's yeah, good for I mean, one they, people. They do is, always think that they're going to act in the best interest, except yeah. for the ones that were infected by that mon- the little space lugs. Oh, you're talking in um, fucking conspiracy? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing, though, is like, What's to say those space slugs are totally evil and the trill are totally good? Yeah. <laughs> everyone, it's, everyone has different because motives and morals. Because the space slugs look gross. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the only thing. Is they're, they're ugly. Yeah. I like Riker's beard. <laughs> Riker didn't have a beard at that point. That's season one, goddammit. <laughs> so in his ready room, Picard briefs the Admiral on his desktop monitor. Doherty congratulates the captain, genially telling him, now pack your bags and get the hell out of there. Um, the Admiral informs Picard that they will be sending a ship to retrieve the Sona's personnel. There are, quote, a few loose ends to tie up. Mm-hmm. Mostly Data's butthole, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> gotta tie that up like a balloon knot. Yeah, you gotta, they're gonna like, they're gonna like tie a knot in it so it's like a little tighter. <laughs> it's like, like when you like tie a knot on, on the trash can, oh, the yeah. trash bag. I was thinking <laughs> more like making a, a balloon animal giraffe, his little oh, tail yeah. back there. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Tighten that shit up. Mm-hmm. Uh, ending the transmission, Picard sits at his desk, cluttered with pads bearing tasks and status reports. Sifting through them, Picard dismisses his work and rises from his chair, standing at the windows overlooking the planet below. He thinking about Anish and that advanced non-colonialist pussy out there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Uh, Counselor Troy um, is busy at work in her counselor's office. When the door chimes, and none other than our favorite fuckboy, Commander <laughs> Riker, enters. He asks Troy if she has a minute, uh, and he tells her that he thinks he needs a little counseling, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they're they're like flirting like weird little kids. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, he's grinning ear to ear, and in the horniest of horny Riker style. Yeah. That's great. Uh, he moves to Troy's chair and lies down, his head in her lap. Uh, she says, this isn't one of the usual therapeutic postures. Uh, maybe you should sit up. And Riker's being playful and says, maybe you should try lying down. <laughs> Which is an awesome line. God, I love this guy. Uh, he sits up. Um, and he goes. You smell fresh, lady. He gets a good sniff while he's down there. <laughs> uh, he sits up, uh, stealing a kiss along the way. Riker says he's not sleeping well, and Troy suggests he asks Dr. Crusher for some help. What I need, I can't get from Dr. Crusher, he says, but we all know he definitely could. He could get it from anyone in the ship. She put a monthly limit on my prostate massages, (laughs) on my medically induced prostate massages. He has a punch card. It's uh, (laughs) just just like hanging on by two pieces of paper. (laughs) I was there there every day, so she made made me uh, adhere to a limit. (laughs) It's like, damn it. Yeah. He then asks if uh, Deanna thinks it's possible for two people to go back in time and fix a mistake that they made. She Mm. says on this ship, anything is possible, and he kisses her. It's true. I mean, they can go back in time. Yeah. Troy is repulsed, pushing him back and laughing. Yuck. I never kissed you with a beard before, she says, shoving him through the doorway. Why does it taste like that? (laughs) (laughs) Why does it taste like Dr. Crusher? (laughs) Um... And Jordy? What? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, uh, so 
Um, she hits a panel and closes it shut as he yells, I kiss you and you say yuck. <laughs> uh, Picard and LaForge uh, head down a corridor to engineering. LaForge reports on Data Status, who, it seems, was shot by a Sona weapon, damaging his memory engrams. But Picard says the Sona reported that Data fired first. LaForge disagrees, then is interrupted by a sudden headache. He doesn't want to fuck tonight. No. Sorry, Picard. <laughs> no, uh, his ocular implants are bothering him. Mm. Uh, the two arrive at engineering where Data is being held in stasis and like this kind of Borg stasis machine. It's kind of weird. Yeah, they have him in a closet. Like, the door's do. open. I mean, <laughs> he's just, like, in a has box. he ever really been in the closet? No. I think we all know he's bi. It's just no one wants to fuck him. I mean, it is it is reassuring that he's like offline at this point, but it just seems like almost like a torture device where it's just like this a small closet. He can barely move his arms <laughs> if, he was, if he was conscious. I mean, it makes sense, though. I mean, he's yeah. you know, being held. So. LaForge reactivates Data, who admits that he seems to be missing several memory engrams. LaForge holds out his hand, and uh, the several cybernetic components to which Data responds, oh, there they are. It's <laughs> kind of fun. Uh, yeah. the, jam- the damage to his face is repaired, and Data is released from his stasis confinement. As Picard asks him what the last thing he remembers is, uh, Data launches into some lyrics from the HMS Pinafore, uh, but the captain stops him about the mission, <laughs> saying, he says. Um, standing before the Enterprise Warp Corps, Data recalls that the last thing he can remember is uh, following Baku children into the hills. <laughs> Why are we following Baku children? That's not, I got that is a n- bad place to black out data because, <laughs> yeah. you know, did you know in the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous? Yeah. These are their stories. Yeah. Get Officer Stabler and, and Benson up here right now. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> boom, boom. Um, yeah, like, yeah, like, this is, this is, this would be the start of an SVU episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, Did, wait, so you don't remember, like, they bring an ice tea, you don't remember where, where you were following those kids up in the hills? D- data, take a seat. <laughs> I'm Chris Hansen. Uh, down on the planet, Picard, Data, and Anish and Sojef retrace uh, Data's steps, finding a Baku boy named Atrim playing in a tree with a friend and his pet. The hippo rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sojef asks Atrim if he can recall where Data first appeared to them. The boy responds that he was playing in the hills by the dam and leads the way. Now we see Riker sitting in a bathtub in his quarters with Troy, who uses an old-fashioned razor to shave off part of his beard, his face covered with a thick coat of shaving cream. And by shaving, I mean Deanna's pussy. <laughs> it is funny that they're using old-time shaving techniques, and you would imagine that they would just do it with like lasers or some shit. Yeah, yeah, you, you probably would. I don't know. There's <laughs> something sexy about... Uh, about shaving your partner. Getting shaved in a bubble bath. <laughs> also, I love that, like, you know, uh, Worf was urgently needed for this mission, and most of the senior staff is just fucking off. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Riker and, and Deanna are sitting in a bubble bath together, like, fucking. <laughs> yeah. And Picard is like, 
Wolf, your wife just died. I need you. <laughs> like what? Yeah, yeah, like imagine like maybe the reason why Worf appeared in the first place is so he could talk to Deanna, his therapist. <laughs> and, like, and he's just like, Deanna, if you have a moment, and she's like, uh, I'm gonna go have a bubble bath with Riker. He's like, Oh, okay. Because <laughs> like, like, you need therapy. Have some therapy through combat. God damn it. <laughs> <That's> what, <yeah. laughs> it's like I've already had enough of that. Stop. That would have been a nice thing, like him trying to constantly like talk get a chance to talk with Deanna but she's too busy like fucking around that'd be so good <laughs> my wife's dead so the comm chirps and Worf signals telling Riker that Admiral Doherty is ca- uh, calling to find out why the Enterprise still has not left the planet responding to the Admiral from his quarters Riker tells Doherty that the captain and Data have traveled to the planet to discover the exact cause of Data's malfunction as his future in Starfleet could depend on it the Admiral is impatient, telling Riker to remind the captain that his 12 hours are up. Riker agrees. Bilmar's doctor injects something into him and tells him his body's producing too many toxins and they've reached the limits of modification. I've been telling people that fucking Bilmar has reached the limit of toxi- toxicity <laughs> for a long time now. The toxicity and our Bill Murray <laughs> and our Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray and Bill Maher are two different people. <laughs> but but both of them are toxic, oddly yeah. enough. <laughs> so, um, you know, you ever just see those things that they advertise like like no, the body has so many toxins in it, and you put these things on your feet and it sucks all the toxins out of your feet. Those are actually interesting. Have you ever used them? <laughs> no. Because they like get oddly dirty. It's super weird. I don't mm. know what's up with them, but <laughs> but my friend gave some to me, and like uh-huh. these actually do something weird. And like after you leave them on your feet for the night, they're like black the next day. Mm, that's weird. It's super weird. I don't I wonder know. if it's something that that activates with like the like the like sweat or something. On I your do body. wonder that myself, but yeah. I don't know. It's something interesting. Hmm. So, um, arriving at a lake surrounded by snow-topped mountains. Picard and the group of Baku watch Data as he uses his tricorder to scan for evidence. With heavy deposits of kelbonite in the mountains, Data says, the tricorder's functions are limited. Entering a few more commands into the scanning device, Data detects something curious. Mm. He turns around and he's like, it's me, sir. I'm bi-curious. <laughs> Can I suck someone's dick? Please. <laughs> um... So uh, he says there's strong neutrino emissions and then steps into the lake, disappearing below the surface. Atrium, the boy, is curious and asks Picard if Data breathes. <laughs> and and uh, Picard's like, Data doesn't breathe. <laughs> and he's like, will he rust? And Picard, not explaining anything, goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's it. He yeah, the kid has like some serious questions. Like... And, and Picard is like just fucking dismissive. He's like, nope. Nope. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do like that because it's keeping in line that Picard hates hates kids. kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like, so yeah, he's like, Picard's not going to humor this fucking Mm -hmm. little stupid asshole. He's like, will he rust? Can it? Doesn't metal rust? And he's like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Shut up. Uh, So descending deeper into the lake, Data continues his scans as uh, CGI fish swim past him. And he's doing like a little goofy face, like, ooh, look uh, at this little fish. Yeah, it'd be funny if funnier if he did a fish face and then maybe like um <laughs> uh, Nemo. Oh wait, yeah, fi- Nemo from Finding Nemo, like went past or something. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be funny, right? 
Or like he's being propelled by like farts coming out of his butt. That like, would have like, been really <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, butt propeller. Yeah. Yeah. Or or he like pulls out his dick and it starts spinning around like a little <laughs> propeller. Like a propeller like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like swimming through the through the through the lake. Yeah. Apparently, this was in this lake scene was filmed at Bishop California, Bishop Lake California, which be, be good to visit. I don't know. Like that look. I thought that scene was really cool looking. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So data continues to scan a, uh, his fish swim past. Finally, getting the readings he was in search of, he trudges across the bottom of the lake to a floodgate. Emerging from the water, he tells Picard he's found the neutrino source and opens up the gate. And this is the part where it had the weird Dutch angle that was a zoom in. Mm-hmm. It was just like really bothersome. <laughs> uh, so emptying part of the lake and revealing the glistening hole of an invisible starship. Data tells Picard that the ship is clearly of Federation origin. What's also interesting is like um, they drain the lake, but it is, there's no sign on the outsides of the lake that there has been any sort of drainage. That is strange. It's like <laughs> like the, the bank of the lake has not fallen at all. And, and the uh, pier has not fallen at all. Exactly. The pier is exactly where it should be on the water. And you know what it must have been? Huh. Uh, Piers Morgan. <laughs> or the piers was moving. Yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, it was, just, it, was just, it was very crappily done. Yeah. Just like, oh look, a, look a uh, look a ship, and it's like peeking out like well above, <laughs> like where where like the nat where the natural beach is. And, and so so this is also a weird thing too because this is a ship that is clearly a Federation origin, mm-hmm. and it's cloaked. It's cloaked. Exa- exactly, <laughs> it's cloaked. The first uh, Federation ship that has ever gotten a cloak was the Defiant. I think three, two or three years prior from this. Also, why cloak it in the first place? Like it was underwater. That's a good question. <laughs> like the, the whole point. Like the, why, it could have literally been anywhere if it was cloaked. Yeah. Like the like the it doesn't point have of, to be in water cloaked. That yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I guess just, they could have like someone could have bumped into it if it was cloaked elsewhere. Yeah, but I mean, like it was so it was supposedly so below the water level. I mean, why, why would it matter? But like, but if it has cloak, they could have put it like on top of the mountain because it wouldn't even fucking matter. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Or or well, in orbit, cloaked I'm, in I'm orbit. Sorry. Much much bigger point to make here. Mm-hmm. If it was cloaked and underwater, why did they need a drain a floodgate to drain the <laughs> lake to get it out? It's a ship. Ships can fly out of the lake and fly back into the lake. Yeah, they don't need a floodgate to to change the water level at all that doesn't make any sense no why do they have a floodgate someone explain this yeah to me. why did why did they why did they build a floodgate for this is there a dam or something did they build a dam for this thing i don't know <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense why they would have a floodgate have it cloaked and have it be underwater no nah, two out of any three of those things would make sense it would have been a cooler scene yeah of like data like entering it like from underwater Mm. And then like and then like um hitting some things and making it rise above. Like, but yeah, just like the fact that it was like hidden underwater while cloaked doesn't make any sense. It seems like overkill. Yeah. So yeah, this I mean, another plot hole. There this this movie's really full of them. Like talking- Yeah, it would have made more sense. Yeah, or like since it is a ship, just have it hovering and cloak. In the in, in the atmosphere somewhere, so just like above, just above, so they can't no one because like these people who don't have any sort of like planes or anything won't even run into it. Yeah, so I gotta be honest. <laughs> so so these um talking about like reviewing episodes this way, like making all my own notes and then talking them out, is very much like therapy to me because <laughs> I come to so many discoveries and like inconsistencies in the film that I would have never gotten on my own. But yeah, just as talking it out, I'm like. 
Wait a second. <laughs> Hold the phone. None of this makes any sense. Yeah, because it's like something that you watch and you don't really question too much. But then yeah. when you're talking about it, you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> so stepping onto a rowboat that is literally just two canoes with four boards stapled on top of them. <laughs> like, that's what it is. I'm like, why don't they just take the They can literally fit all these people in one canoe. But instead, they have two canoes with a bunch of boards nailed on top. Yeah, to make this makeshift shitty catamaran. It doesn't look- <laughs> well, they can build like a really, a really um, high tech like flood thing where they can just like drain a lake. But That's the federation, come- though. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because this this thing wasn't made by the or the uh, the Baku. No, I think it was the Baku. The Baku ma- didn't make this. No, the the, the flood the, the 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 valve release for the fl- for the lake. I don't think so. I think so. It Why looked- would they? Because it, it was it was there in order to keep the water level to hide the ship that that is uh, of Sona and Federation origin. Mm. So, yeah, mm. it's definitely not the Baku. I don't think. And also, why? Yeah, why? Would, why would the Baku need well, I mean, it was, a dam it, like it that? seemed. It seemed like it was there. I mean, I think the Baku would have noticed like this weird. But the Baku didn't know about the floodgate at all. They didn't. No, mm. that's why fucking Data had to go find it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Data's the only one who actually. Yeah, yeah then why even like need the need to have it in the first place? Because they can just teleport in and out of the ship. That that's my question. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. That that's why <laughs> I wonder why they have the floodgate and the things underwater and it's cloaked. You can just put the ship underwater and cloak it. Yeah. Why would you need a floodgate? Mm-hmm. I am so confused about that. <laughs> Like is this shit? Is this an unflyable ship? I'm so confused. Like, well, so that later it ends up in orbit of, yeah, of the planet. Yeah, yeah. So it's not unflyable. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a scanner's moment here. You're gonna. You, you, I think you should uh, write off an angry tweet to Jonathan Frakes. Be like, what the fuck, dude? No, this is a pillar decision. Uh, it's a pillar decision. Yeah. yeah. Pillar. What the fuck? Pillar ass. Berman. I mean, I, once again, if you have Mike Michael Berman's uh, cell phone number, straight, Michael Berman. Uh, uh, Rick, Rick Berman. Berman, sorry, Michael. <laughs> uh, if you have if you have Rick Berman's uh, fucking cell phone number, I think I, you should legit head up Denise Crosby. Yeah, like, but but if 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 someone listening has it, I'll, lit- I'll I will send you two hundred dollars worth of merch. Damn. If if you give it to me, yeah, straight up. So yeah, if you have Rick Berman's phone number, mm-hmm. give it to Soy Trek. Mm-hmm. DM Soy Trek. Brett and by I- by five hundred dollars uh, <laughs> worth of merch, I I just mean like. 80 of the exact same bumper stickers. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, here you go. And then you're just like, what the hell? Why do I need all these bumper stickers? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> you know what? You'll enjoy your $500 worth of bumper stickers. All right. 200. I said 200. Oh, 200. 200. 200. <laughs> yeah, you'll enjoy your $200 worth of bumper stickers and like it. All right. Yeah, so yeah. just shut up and give us Rick Berman's phone number. Please. <laughs> Man, Rick and Morty. Uh, they should have Rick Berman come and replace uh, Justin Rowland for, for Rick on That'd Rick be and Morty. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then who would be the Morty, though? Someone actually named Morty. Is there anybody named Morty anymore? Yeah. I mean, no one notable, I don't think. Mor- yeah. Mortimer, Morty. Rick Mortanis. <laughs> <laughs> Mortan. That was, that was a, I've, I've gaped a lot of holes, but that was one of the biggest stretches I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. It's the closest I could come up with. Oh, good one. <laughs> That's your Michael Berman of the day. <laughs> um, so suddenly, uh, wait, no, no, no. Um, so they step on the rowboat and go to the cloak ship to investigate. 
Crossing the lake, the three arrive at the dripping, invisible hull of the ship. Data operates his tricorder, which opens an airlock, revealing the interior of the ship. Climbing inside, Picard, Data, and Anij are stunned to find a perfect holographic replica of the Baku village, albeit an incomplete one. Picard tries to mansplain a hologram to Anish, <laughs> who knows what a fucking hologram is. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know what a hologram is. You don't have to explain it to me. It's pretty funny. Well, it's like, it's, but it's, it's like, well, I mean, y'all are like living in like, uh, and just like weird houses and baking, yeah. make, doing open air be- bread baking. At the, at, <laughs> at the same time, like she was like, uh, yeah, we couldn't re- repair your positronic brain. And so like, they're obviously one of the few civilizations who's ever even heard of positronics yeah much less might have an idea of what to do with them yeah so, so does that mean that they had um had positronic had created positronic brains in the past so here's my idea huh. they're all descendants of a soon mm, the soonga Ooh. <laughs> i like this that's that's sort like of like a v'ger type thing the soonga so then like it became the suna that's actually Kind of brilliant. You know what? I think we got a story to sell, baby. <laughs> Let's spec script this motherfucker. Uh, oh, it came back denied with a turd. Says, <laughs> says, fuck Brent. Oh, it's written in blood. I don't know why. <laughs> no more Brent is on the second page. Also written in blood. Uh, so Picard doesn't understand. Clearly data was shot to prevent the discovery of the holoship. But what is its purpose? Picard deduces that this ship is here to trick the Baku, to transport them in mass to a new location away from their planet. But why? Mm. Suddenly, a burst of fi- uh, phaser fire rings out, narrowly missing the crew. Picard and Data react quickly, shoving Anij out of the ship and away from the crossfire as they fire their phasers. Disabling an attacking Sona officer inside the ship, Picard and Data deactivate the holographic simulation and turn back to the lake to find Anish struggling to swim. Apparently she can't swim. The two Enterprise officers leap from the airlock into the water to save Anish. As Picard scoops her into his arms, Data assures them, in the event of a water landing, I have been designed to serve as a flotation device. And he suddenly inflates, which is actually very funny. Yeah. I like that. That was good. It would be funnier if his like flotation device was just his dick though. Yeah. <laughs> he just, Where he had to blow into it. You know how you with those, like, <laughs> with those things, you're like, stick it, you know, when you're on your plane, like stick it in your mouth and blow. And it's like, you have to like blow him and he's like, he goes, <laughs> and, and he pulls out his dick and he's like, all right, you can do this one. And on each, it's like, don't you have another one? He's like, yes, it's my asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Which would you prefer to blow into? Um, The pole or the hole. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't matter. Both have the same fill rate. Uh, So in the Enterprise transporter room, Picard and Data have returned to the ship to find Lieutenant Commander Worf waiting for them. Worf informs the captain that his wife is dead and he's so, so sad. Please let me go home. (laughs) The end. (laughs) No. Uh, Worf informs the captain that neither the Starfleet nor the Sona hostages mentioned the holoship in their debriefing. Picard orders the Klingon to debrief them again, then notices a huge red blemish on his nose. Have you been in a fight, Mr. Worf? Uh, he asks, and Worf is humiliated, explaining that it is a gorch, a Klingon pimple. Well, Picard, Picard assures him, 
it's hardly noticeable. <laughs> Which is like, come on, dude, you already noticed it. Yeah, and the, Worf is just here to just be made fun of the entire time. No, he's yeah, he's the comic relief, which is like, did Michael Pillar not watch DS9? <laughs> yeah. This man's wife just died, mm-hmm. and he just had to kill the emperor <laughs> of his home planet. Mm-hmm. He's been through some shit. He's, he's been a- through the most shit. <laughs> Leave Worf alone. Like this dude, this dude deserves like all the time off, and thankfully he gets it because he just. Goes and takes a job with the Klingons, yeah. like a chill ass fucking ambassador job. Also, like, the, also at no time did he try to confront anybody on the Enterprise, like, why they didn't attend his wedding. Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> like, not, not a single, which I thought was like the one of the weirdest I moments. I mean, to, to be fair, it was a shotgun wedding, actually, more of a Batleth wedding. Yeah, a Batleth wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really a shotgun, you know, they, they planned it and everything. Yeah, they planned it. You know, Alexander was there, mm-hmm. of all people. Like, in the name of the episode is You Are Cordially Invited. Yeah. And uh, apparently they didn't cordially invite anyone on Enterprise. <laughs> no. Or they, maybe they did and they didn't show up. And that's the thing, too, is, like, <laughs> Enterprise wasn't doing shit during that period because mm-hmm. fucking First Contact definitely takes place before Season 6 of DS9. Mm-hmm. And then this definitely takes place after Season 6 of DS9. Like, he definitely got married to Jadzia in Season 6 of DS9. They probably could have gone unless they were doing something so important that they couldn't, <laughs> that they didn't need to make a movie out of it, but they did for insurrection. Yeah. Like, what? Come on. Come on. That would have been funny if, like, they just, like, kept referencing some really other cooler thing that happened to them that, that's not this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Mr. Wolf. We're sorry we didn't attend your wedding, but. Or, we, or your wife's funeral. <laughs> either. Either. Really, we were busy for both. But, the, but the, there was the space rupture. My God, so many lives lost. It was such an adventure that we had. Uh, we'll be talk- well, There'll be stories about it for years to come. We had so much honor and glory, we couldn't take it all with us. We kept on saying, wouldn't it be great if we had a Klingon in Starfleet here to take all this honor and glory? But anyway, let's focus on the, ch- on the, on the, on the, on the matter at hand. These white Californians are having a problem with their planet. <laughs> you know, at the end of that mission, they gave us the option to... Go back and change one thing in time and prevent one great tragedy to a personal loved one. I gave mine up because I'm Captain Picard and I don't have any loved ones. Well, it would have been cool to see you there, Worf. Yeah, oh, Worf, yeah. You, you, what have you done, huh? What have you done? Oh, the Dominion. Yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah, this, this pa- the rupture pa- pales in comparison to the Dominion. Well... <laughs> So the officers exit the transporter room into the corridor where a clean-shaven Riker meets them. He uh, walks up to Data and says, smooth as an android's bottom, eh, Data? <laughs> Which is a weird line, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, Riker catches up to the Riker captain. would know, though. He would. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's made use of uh, mm-hmm. of um, robotics, we'll say. <laughs> um, Riker catches up. <laughs> like Data. Real doll mode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Data, disable memory anagrams. (laughs) Now Now doll mode. (laughs) Now make your asshole into a mouth. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait, a pussy. No, no, mouth. Mouth, mouth. A little bit of teeth. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of teeth. Um, So... Uh, Riker catches up to the captain, telling Picard of the Admiral's order to leave the Baku region immediately. 
Picard is determined, saying, We're not going anywhere. Riker then notices Worf's gorsh and asks if his people <laughs> if his people do everything big. Which is like amazing. Again, just ragging on, on Worf for yeah. no reason. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Yeah, we do. <laughs> be funny you know what I did really big? Uh, my wife's funeral <laughs> and our wedding that you weren't at. That would be funny if there's just like a like a quick shot of like Worf's hands clinching, <laughs> and just like the, the Arthur meme. <laughs> yes. he's just holding himself back, and there's just hands are just shaking, and they release, and he's like, "Ah, oh, good one, good one, Commander." Serenity now. Serenity now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> then he just goes into the holodeck safety protocols off <laughs> <laughs> just murder kills himself sticks <laughs> 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 a batleth in his neck <laughs> yeah. uh, so in, in sick bay crusher is contacted by picard telling him that the sona officers refused treatment so she had them confined to quarters when asked about the status of the Starfleet hostages, Crusher replies that they are better than fine, with improved muscle tone and energy. <laughs> Picard acknowledges her signal as the doctors turn to her patient, Jordi LaForge. As they exit the turbo lift, Picard orders Worf not to release the Sona hostages until he has had a chance to speak with Bill Maher. <laughs> Picard arrives in his quarters and heads to the laboratory. That's the restroom. <laughs> calling to the lavatory the, calling to the computer he orders music something latin the mambo mm. the computer complies playing upbeat music to which the captain begins to dance by himself dancing towards the mirror picard stops to glance at himself and notices his signs of aging <laughs> this is a weird scene man uh he, he well, i think he's noticing his his that he's lat- grown old no he's like i think he's growing he's growing younger Oh, you're, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Maybe. Um, Cause that's why he like looks at himself. He's like, huh? But also he doesn't look any younger at all. And no. If, if he's supposed to look younger, they didn't do a good job of it. He looks the exact same. If he would like the one thing they might have done that might've really worked is like maybe have him grow a little hair. <laughs> That'd be funny something. if they injected him with Botox or something. <laughs> 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 but he's like, to get really get into this role. I went, <laughs> they, yeah. they just give him lip filler and a, B- <laughs> and a BBL. Yeah. <laughs> 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 man, Picard got that caboose. What's going on over there? He's like, oh, I needed extra padding for the con. <laughs> this ass can't fit into, into his, my, my uniform anymore. Uh, my face got a turbo lift. <laughs> um, it just looks very shocking to everyone. <laughs> they can't, like, why aren't you looking me in the eyes? Uh, um, so, uh, Picard is growing old. He's not an action hero anymore, like two years ago. This gives <laughs> him pause as he decides to go back down to the planet. Anish now answers a knock at her door. It's Picard asking, how old are you? <laughs> Which is a thing you never want to hear a grown man ask. No. <laughs> are you old enough? <laughs> are you old enough to know better, little girl? <laughs> Uh, a while later, Anij and Picard meet with Sojif at team our art our team and Turinel as they discuss the Baku's real situation. Sojif explains that the Baku traveled to this planet 309 years ago from a planet where technology threatened their very existence. Moving to the Briar Patch, the Baku found a new way of life, isolated from the threats of other worlds. 
and have continually regenerated by a bizarre concentration of metaphasic radiation in the rings of, of the planet. The Baku planet is a fountain of youth that only affects humanoids once they reach maturity, and Picard understands now why someone would want to take all this away from them. He tells the assembled Baku that clearly the architects of this conspiracy want to keep this relocation a secret, and Picard won't let that happen. Hell no. Um, wild that, like, the Sona just can't share this entire fucking planet with 600 people. Yeah. Instead, they need to, like... Or the Buka, uh, Buka or... Oh, yeah, sorry, wait, yeah, wait. Uh, Buka de Beepo. Um, the Bacau. Uh, no, no, the Sona. It's weird that the Sona can't share it with the Baku. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Sona, like, want everything, all the resources from the planet, but really all they need to do is just move there and share it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Literally. The planet seems huge. The planet is huge. <laughs> like, so it's like, so they're it, just literally a planet can't have rings unless it's a certain size. So like it yeah. has to have a specific amount of gravity. Like, mm-hmm. so it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But they don't, but they don't want to move there. That's the thing. So what? <laughs> yeah. Boo-hoo. <laughs> well, they're, 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 they're seeking to do something more dire. Yeah. That, that's the problem is like. Yeah. They're artificially inflating, like, the, the fucking stakes. stakes here. It's like, it's something they don't need to do. Literally, they could have just solved it by being like, hey, I realize... We're going to live, like, on... Um, the on, other side of the planet. Yeah. That's it. The end. And yeah, we're, like, we're going to live in it- on the Italy of this planet. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, there's a planet that, that can only have one village and 600 people on it. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Like... <laughs> Literally, they they take like a couple hour journey to like go to a lake and shit. Come on. (laughs) So strolling through the quiet village at night, Anij teaches Picard about Baku customs and tells him about herself. Picard reciprocates by telling her of his life in the Federation and of his desire not to let bloody chapters in history play out again here and says most of Earth's troubled history comes from displacing smaller groups of people for the needs of large ones. Yeah, like specifically non-white people. All the non-white cultures of the planet being being displaced, and then here we have just a, the littlest white Californian like yeah. sort of people like they're 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 in the place of the um <laughs> they're they're the ones being displaced, which is like Indeed. which is like okay, you know you you could have not made them just like all white. I mean, they they really could have called this Star Trek the OC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I know because these people are very Orange County like yeah. conservative. Yeah, just like, yeah, they're all just like blonde, little blonde kids and just like, yeah, just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's very silly just like putting them in this role. Yeah, they're all fucking nimbies. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, those Baku, uh, or the, 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 those Sona, yeah, they're, uh, we don't want them around here, you know, they cause problems and do crime. Maybe that's why there's only 600 people because like they're just, they're known as the space Karens and like, so like they're, they're like other people. Other people have tried to inhabit the planet as well, but then they're just chased away by all the Karen. Oh, they're just Karen genocided. Behavior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Anij admits that Picard surprises her. He doesn't stand up to his reputation as an offlander. Anij asks Picard if he's ever experienced a perfect moment in time. And Picard says uh, the first moment he had a prostate orgasm <laughs> felt like an eternity to him. And uh, Anish and it was from a 300-year-old woman, too. <laughs> <laughs> her, name, her name is Kynan. That's, 
that's that's kind of weird. Maybe we could play that one back. Also, Guinan's over 500 years. Oh, yeah, she is. <laughs> so Anish uh, waxes poetical on this, and it's uh, kind of sick, actually. Um, Picard wonders how she hasn't learned to swim in 300 years, and she says uh, she just hasn't gotten around to it yet. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> Straight up, like I know they live. <laughs> they live near this beautiful lake, and she and and she never bothered to go. Maybe she's too busy baking bread, or like, uh, or Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad, yeah. or <laughs> like, Breaking Benjamin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess there's like so many activities on this planet. You know, making beige clothing. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> they seriously have the most boring culture too. They really do. <laughs> it's like they're all just they all just wear like the most boring. Like beige brown col- I mean, colors. You know, all they do is fuck, right? Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're eternally young, and uh, so we just want to fuck. Yeah, I'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that one guy did Sojo, whatever his name is, did say uh, he was he did look older when he got there, and then yep. like aged backwards. So, mm-hmm. yep, his dick got harder, his uh, skin got tighter. <laughs> His wife's pussy also got tighter. That's his why wife's butthole that's why also got tighter. His wife's mouth <laughs> also got tighter, which doesn't really make any sense, no. but it did. Yeah, it just grew smaller. <laughs> Small mouth. Lion. Lion. <laughs> but that's another that brings up a thing like, why did Picard never move here? Like after after he got out of Starfleet. Straight up or or like, I mean, at the end of the movie, he says he has like a year worth of shore leave that he needs to use. Yeah. I would have watched a year of Picard like de-aging that one kind of yeah thing. but like that's the thing like <clears throat> he knows like th- that uh I can't, can't remember what the thing was called but the thing that like that was gonna the the brain thing mm. it's gonna end his life but it would have gone in reverse oh yeah oh but, that's true that's a like, very good point like yeah. he could have like well <clears throat> if he was like so afraid of like being taken over by this thing like you know in the beginning of Picard like he's like you know asking his like the doctor from the stargazer like what do I do and like you know he's like well you know, you could go to that fucking planet that ages you in reverse and yeah. uh, and uh, pretty much cures all ailments that you ever have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but that never comes up. Like, they totally disregard, like, this. <laughs> Instead, like, hey, let's put you on an android body. I mean, and it would have made sense if, like, you know, they blew off the planet or something at the end, but they didn't. No, yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, like especially now that word's out about this thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they can't keep how they po- they can't possibly keep the, the uh, truth of this plan under wraps. Like. It'd probably be the source of lots of bloody wars. Yeah. Like all sorts of different factions would want that power. Yeah. I mean, but it is, <laughs> it is, they do say it is strictly in Federation space. And so yeah. like, you know, but makes you wonder where in Federation space and like mm-hmm. how, how, close, I mean, and also, how close to other civilizations. But also it's not like there's like a big protectorate that's prote- like, the, like people, like there's doesn't seem to be like, it doesn't seem to be like a, a uh, tactical advantage for anybody. No. So it doesn't seem like there's, and and plus inside the Briar Patch, communications are non-existent true, to true. the outside. Mm-hmm. So anyone like Romulans could have e- could easily take it over. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like oh, they can't con- they can't contact uh, um, uh, the fe- the Federation time. Okay, well you know we'll do this whole thing. You know oh they they reject technology and oh they're pacifists. Mm. <laughs> and so it's like and like they don't have weapons. They don't have weapons. <laughs> Only six hundred people. <laughs> yeah, and so the, it's basically like serving up like a like a roasted pig <laughs> to a bunch of wolves, and there's like no yeah you know what after this like they're completely forgotten. Yep. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Yeah, that's a good point. Like, we never see a Baku ever again. Or a Sona ever again, I don't think, do we? No. No. <clears throat> so, um, Anish says, uh, I wonder if you are aware of the trust you engender to Picard. And says, uh, in my experience, it's unusual for someone so young. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, she's 300 years old, and he's only like 70 or 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> So, leaving Anish's home, Picard continues his late-night tour of the village as the sun begins to rise over the hills. Spotting Geordi just beyond the village, Picard climbs to meet LaForge as he looks out over the scenery. Geordi, Picard sees, has also been affected by the metaphysic radiation, his eyes now fully regenerated. <laughs> LaForge tells the captain that he has never seen a real sunrise but would like to see one before they leave in case the regeneration reverses itself. The experience of seeing his first sunrise moves LaForge to tears, and the two men stand on the hill and watch as day breaks over the pitch, picturesque hills of the Baku planet. So, so apparently like his eyes have naturally overtaken the implants, so when he leaves the planet, one would suggest that his eyes would return to normal, but the implants wouldn't be there now, correct? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of taking it like, okay, are the are the implants just like weird contacts he can take in and out? That's what I'm wondering. I, I don't know, because they were like giving him a headache. They're actual implants. Yeah. Like they're implanted in his head, so. <laughs> I just wanted the scene where his, his, real, his real eyes are growing and like pushing out like the fake <laughs> implant he's eyes. Like, ah! He's like, ah! It just shows us the eyes just pop out of his head. <laughs> and then like, oh, there's real eyes under there. Or I want the scene as they fly away from the planet and he's like all right oh no my vision's fading oh fuck i'm completely blind again what the fuck <laughs> his real eyes just shrivel up like raisins <laughs> like, ah! it's just his black eyes like <laughs> yeah. a fucking yeah, they just fall out like two prunes Worf <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> pick one's uh, picks one up the warrior's fruit <laughs> <laughs> this is for not going to my fucking wedding it <laughs> 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 just pops it in his mouth <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, nerd. <laughs> um, so, in orbit, a fleet of Sona starships enters the area, dwarfing the Enterprise as it flies below them. And they have, like, a huge ship here. It's like an enormous ship. Yeah, and, and supposedly they are, like, technologically superior to the Federation. In ways. Yeah. In ways. Yeah. Um, so Admiral Doherty and Bill Maher enter the captain's ready room, demanding the release of the Sona officers and the departure of the Enterprise. Picard is ready for them, telling them that he found the holoship. Doherty knows that he has been caught and asks Bill Maher to wait outside. The Sona, however, refuses and shouts in enraged, No! <laughs> the skin stretched tight over Mil Bill Maher's forehead breaks and blood begins to drip down his face. This entire mission has been one Federation blunder after another, he snarls. You will return my men, or this allegiance will end with the destruction of your ship. Bill Maher storms out, leaving Doherty and Picard alone. Bow, wow, wow. Bow, wow, wow. Uh, Doherty is more calm than his Sona partner, telling the captain that he looks rested. Picard cuts through the pleasantries, telling the Admiral that he will report Doherty's actions to the Federation Council. But Doherty retorts that he is acting on orders from the Council. They have decided that the Baku are not the native inhabitants of this planet, and it is unnatural for the Baku to be immortal. Relocating them will simply restore them to their natural evolution. 
which does not sound like something that Starfleet would tell him to do. No. Uh, and but then also like steal that immortality and sell it. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> it's like up. okay, well they they can't be immortal, but other people can for the right price. Right, right. This yeah, that's this is very like Terran or like fucking human from Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stealing the stealing the brain juice from the Pyacon. Mm-hmm. Pyacon. Oh, not Pyacon. No, no, Talcoon. Yes, yeah. Pyacon yeah. survived. Pyacon yeah. boy. Pyacon boy. My boy. Um. So. Picard is outraged by this sophistry, but Doherty informs him that they are acting for the greater good. The Sona have developed a procedure to collect the metaphysic particles from the planet's rings, but the procedure requires them to inject a substance into the rings that initiates a thermolytic reaction, after which the planet will be uninhabitable for decades. The planet is in Federation space, but the Federation cannot duplicate the Sona's technology, which makes them, quote, petty thugs. Though they may be the Federation's willing partners. Doherty tells Picard that oil used to make petty thugs into leaders and warp drive turned Romulan thugs into an empire. It's like neither of those examples are good. Yeah. And also like, yeah, way to also be very racist here for no yeah. reason. Hey, remember when the planet like survived on this thing that destroyed it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with metaphysics, Doherty explains a whole new medical science will evolve. Uh, sorry, with metaphysics, not metaphysics, mm-hmm. um, and help billions of people throughout the Federation. Picard tries every argument for delaying the procedure, but Doherty has an answer to each one. Although there are metaphysic particles all over the Briar Patch, only those in the planet's rings are concentrated enough to produce the reju- rejuvenating effects. The Federation's best scientific minds have already examined the Sonus technology and concluded that it is the only means of collecting the particles. Picard proposes that the Sona establish a separate colony on the planet until a less destructive alternative can be found. Doherty rejoins that the uh, Sona's sen- uh, sentience is so advanced that it would take 10 years of normal exposure to the radiation to begin to reverse it, and many of them won't live that long. Uh, besides, he adds... The Sona don't want to live in the middle of the Briar Patch. Who would? Picard <laughs> responds, "The back who? <laughs> Damn, shut down, motherfucker." Yeah, yeah, I do like I do like Picard's space luring during this scene. Yeah, like it's it's pretty good. It is. So Picard says this mission is a violation of the Federation's founding principles as well as the Prime Directive, and that it will result in the destruction of the Baku society. Picard believes that this is an attack on the Federation's soul although it's not entirely different from the Maquis, in my opinion. Talk, talking about forceful relocation. And shit. I mean, Picard already kind of dealt with this, you know, during this, during the episode where he had to relocate the Native Americans. True. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and then, but he, I, you know, he did make the right choice at the end of that. But, mm. in, but in this, he's like, what white people are, are being threatened. <laughs> <laughs> like, like gets becomes lock and load Picard. <laughs> Not on my watch. Not on my watch, motherfucker. Uh, becoming exasperated, Dory repeats that they are only moving 600 people. In f- a fury, Picard asks Doherty to tell him just how many people it takes before what they're doing becomes wrong. A thousand? Fifty thousand? A million? How many people does it take, Admiral? <laughs> Finished with trying to reason with Picard, Doherty orders Picard to release the Sona officers and then depart for the Gorin system. 
file whatever protest you wish to, he says. By the time you do, this will all be done. Picard angrily marches to his quarters. With a view of the Baku planet below, he slowly removes each of his rank pips and renounces his status as captain of the Enterprise. Say what? And I think that's a great place for an intermission. Yeah. So that's uh, that's going to be the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead and listen to our continuation tomorrow, or if you're a part of our Patreon. Now. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for hanging with us. With that, Captain's Log, supplemental. Thanks for hanging with us, Soyagers. Be well. Travel safe. And uh, maybe watch Star Trek Insurrection. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, you know, it's a good episode. It's a good two-parter episode. Yeah, if you look at it like that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a good two-parter. You know, you bring in F. Murray Abraham, you know. Mm -hmm. It's good. I guess. Sure, why not? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for checking with the Soy Boys, Girls, and Other Worldly Beans. Hang dong and shocker. Soy, 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 so